I don't even want to call it a job, it's a calling. And I believe this, there's something in us that called us to it. And we answered the call thing. There's people that call themselves to it, that it was never in their heart. They never last long. And everyone probably knows someone. They find a way out of it. It just wasn't meant for them. And it's not bad that they answered, but it's a grind. And you all, whoever's listening, should feel good about what you've done with your life. Honestly, most people can't do what you all do. Excellence is a rarity, but you are not alone. Talk and shop with Outlier Firefighters. All right, hey everyone. Alex Tanner here, Talk and Shop with Outlier Firefighters, episode 19. Jimmy Pelletieri's here, and uh, you guys are, I mean, I hope you grab a snack, get something to drink, <laughs> because uh, you're in for a great episode tonight. Uh, we've been green rooming for probably a half hour already, and... Yeah, that's been good. We're gonna. I, I feel like we gotta rewrite or retalk about some of the things we did, but I'm sure we'll get to it. So, uh, first things first. Thank you, Jim, for for coming on. I'm super excited to have you. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be here, bro. It's good. Uh, we're just gonna get into so many rabbit holes and all sorts of things. Uh, Chief Coke, for you're saying Dora. I don't know what that means. And I. Oh yeah, explore the Dora. Yeah, I, yeah, I know what it means. Oh uh, man. All right. Well, yeah, put a pin in I that. My backpack. I have my backpack. <laughs> Tell them good. Dora the Explorer. Oh, yeah. Ah, we can start with that. Why not? What's, this, what's the story behind that? All right. Okay. All right. Um, I'm, ta- I'm trying to get my degree, right? And and we're down at the conference in Peoria, that you know, the Chiefs Conference or whatever, right? So I'm down there, and I always have my backpack. And you know how Coke Fair is, right? He's oh, yeah. just he, he he never holds back, yeah. right? Dora the Explorer was my name for the whole conference and every conference since then. <laughs> and I <laughs> it's brutal. It's brutal. And when I see him, he just it's just like there's blood in the water and he's the shark and it's game over. So it's just our inside thing for all these years. It's probably ten years it's it started. So oh, but awesome. yeah, but I love that guy. He's awesome. Well, he's watching, so uh, I'm, oh, sure, I'm sure he'll have plenty more things oh, yeah, to throw oh, yeah. in. Same with uh, oh, good yeah. to see you here too, Jay, uh, and, and happy to have Vandenberg in the chat. And whoever else is watching, thanks. And uh, yeah, you ready? Yeah, let's All go. right, let's roll. So uh, what was your first exposure to the fire service? Um, I grew up in Florida uh, for a little while. I moved all over, but Deerfield Beach. And I was a little kid, and Mr. Holloway was a firefighter in Deerfield Beach, Florida. And he came by one day with this fire engine that he was on that day, an engine company. And I, I just was like, man, that is it just, you know, you're a kid. You see a real fire engine. And I was just overwhelmed with it. I was like, oh, this is cool. And I think that's when the seed started. But and then I just felt this desire to always want to be a firefighter. And it just finally came to be down the road. But I always, I remember there was obstacles because I wasn't a very good student. I'm dyslexic, uh, learning disabilities. School was a challenge. Growing up was a challenge, but eventually it all worked out. But that was my first exposure, awesome. Mr. Holloway. And that was cool. His his son and my brother are both, uh, they, they were hired in Deerfield. They consolidated with Broward County. And now they're both division chiefs down there, so it's kind of cool. Small world. That is a over. small world, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's always cool to hear, though. I feel like we were kind of, again, we were, we were talking green room, and it just seems like the people that get it that are lucky, right, and we're all on the same page, the world yeah. just shrinks once, like, you meet those yeah. people. It's hilarious. 
Uh, That's really cool. cool. So, for those that don't know you, uh, you know, what was your career path to to where you started? Then, like first job, getting up to now. I mean, in the fire service. I mean, you could talk about before the fire service, but uh, up no, to where you are no. now, what your position and rank is now. All right. Well, I was uh, a young kid. It's twenty one years old. Um, just trying to figure out a lot of things in my own life, but I always wanted to be a firefighter, and I got. I got uh, I got distracted from that reality because it was hard, it was difficult, and I just had challenges to actually become a firefighter. Uh, I grew up, and I'm going to be brief here, but I just grew up in a very abusive home. And my parents at the time, my mom and my stepdad, they had me arrested for things I didn't do. So I, and I'm going to leave it there because it's a whole other story, but I had a felony arrest. They said I stole stuff when I ran away that I didn't steal. But I had that arrest, and no one would hire me because of that. So that dream kind of died. But, And this is a premise I want to just put into everyone. Because if you looked at me on paper, you wouldn't have hired me, right? So I come back up here, long story, get my old job, talk to my old boss, and he says, hey, you wanted to be a firefighter? I go, yeah. And he goes, Gurney, fire department's taking on part-time firefighters. And I'm like, uh. So... I'm like, man, um, and I just knew the obstacles I had. So I tried being a volunteer, and they do the background check, didn't work. But I walk into the Gurney Fire Department, and uh, I see your uncle, Tim Tanner, and he, he kind of, uh, I always ran into him at gyms and stuff when I was a young kid, and he, he had a great influence. But the chief was there, Tim McGrath, and he said, uh, I said, hey, are you guys hiring? I heard you're hiring part-time, and he Real quick, I missed an orientation. They gave me a quick walk around the station, gave me my orientation, speed it up. I pass everything for the to be a paid-on-call firefighter. But before I left, after they gave me that tour, I said, I just, and this is key, and I mean this to anyone who's listening, I, I think everyone has crap that they've gone through in life, but you have to have integrity, and you have to figure out how to be honest, right? So I told them, I said, when you do my background, you're going to find this. And I gave him my, he said, okay. That's fine. Just go through the process. Well, he calls me up, says, I need you to come and I um, meet with me. And I'm like, okay. So I come in the station and he's this tall guy. I, I mean, I'm short and he sits in this. He brings me back in the classroom with these little fold desks and he has all my stuff, my history in a folder. And he said, look, he said, right now, I, with what I have here, this is enough reason for me not to hire you and bring you on. Right. And he and I said, okay. And he said, to be fair to the process, I'm hiring 10 firefighters and you were the 10th applicant. And he goes, if you were the 11th, I have to eliminate you. But he, what he did was he took all that stuff he had and he set it next to a desk next to me. He said, I'm going to leave it here and I'm going to welcome you to, as a gurney firefighter. Just give me no reason to bring this up. And this is my point. Whatever he saw in me, he saw promise and potential. Because no one knows what type of firefighter you're going to be when you start. You have it in your head that, oh, I'm going to be great. You have no idea because at the end of the day, your peers will decide, your circle of influence will decide if you were good or great at it or not, not just by what you do. But he saw promise and potential in me, and that's where it all started. And then I became, um, you know, the cool thing is my journey is like this. I became a career firefighter. Uh, my first written test, I was dead last, okay, and it was gurney. All right. And then he just spent time with me. And second test around two years later, I was number one. I got hired. 
I get a career job, and I have to get on every special team there is, it from TRT to Hazmat to Dive to Swift Water, all of it, right? So my career USAR team, I become a company officer, and I become a training officer in Gurney for like 10 years, and then I became a battalion chief where I sit now. But from the start to the end, and this is important, I am always grateful to Chief Tim McGrath. And when I see him, I always shake his hand and I let him know how grateful I am. Because if it wasn't him making that one choice, allowing me to enter there, I wouldn't be sitting here today. So I would say to anyone, if you ever had those people in your life that really took a chance in you or you have the opportunity to take a chance in someone, it might pay out, you know, for the best. And I feel very fortunate, very blessed. So when I show up at the firehouse... I have a heart of gratitude because it wasn't supposed to happen according to a world's point of view. So I'm grateful, you know, because it's made me a man. It's, it's given me more than I've ever given back to it. And I feel like I've given a lot to it. But it's, you know, you think about every firefighter, you do things you never thought you would do. And you'd see things you never thought you'd see. And you're that one individual out of so many people that can actually do it. And I just feel blessed to be a part of it. So that's kind of my journey. You're here. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, everybody was saying, share your story, go through it. Yeah, I mean, in, in our chat here, you're all right, cool. spot on. I mean, what, uh, what, an, what an yeah. incredible like uh, opportunity, and then to follow that up with the what you've been doing. I mean, it, it, that's amazing. Yeah. That's nothing short of amazing. That's that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. No worries. So over the course of that, um, you know. You were influenced a little bit before being a firefighter, but where where did you learn about values, culture, or ethics like that that firefighters are supposed to have? How did you come across that? All right, well, to be honest with you, the firehouse raised me when I became a paid on call firefighter. That I grew up in a real broken way, and I, I can't I don't want to get into it because that's a whole other story. But any type of abuse that you can imagine, it happened to me. Okay, it and it was over the top. So. At the end of the day, I was always clawing and looking to be part of something noble, right? Something because I, I lived in a growing up, it was just dark. And I just wanted to be part of something noble. And the fire service to me represented that. You weren't there to hurt people, you were there to make a situation better, right? So when I became a paid on call firefighter, that's where I learned. And, and I kid you not, without hesitation, when you gave me some of the questions, not even connecting you, Tim Tanner was the guy. He became everything to me. And he didn't even know it. I, I, re, I remember I, I had so much gratitude for him later in both of our careers. I, I just wrote him a letter of how grateful I was because I realized he, he has no idea how he influenced me, not just by what he said, but what he did day in and day out. Kid you not. It, I, and I remember I gave it to him because this is firefighters. I said, hey, I just want to give you this. You know, I was a lieutenant. I mean, I was there years, you know. And he came to me, he goes, are you dying? Because <laughs> that's such a firefighter <laughs> thing. I said, no, I just, I just, I'm thankful. And I knew he was going to retire someday in the future. But this is what I would say where I learned it, um, was just seeing how he was. First thing, I'll talk about being on scenes with him. That guy, and there was a handful, Bill Burkhart, Gary Miller, but Tim, they were always just calm. The incident was never bigger than them, no matter how chaotic it was. And, and it, he, they just taught me how to be calm. And then they would treat people that didn't deserve to be treated nice, even though you're hanging on by a thread and you're worn out. 
they treated them well. And then I think the biggest thing about Tim, he worked like he was a brand new firefighter every day. He never looked for a reason to get out of doing something. He was the first one to clean toilets with the new guys. He was the first one to do rig checks like he was a brand new guy. And I think there's one call, and it's funny, I can picture it. We're in the middle of the night. Me, Russell Constantino, Ryan's dad, and Tim, we ran a three-man rescue back then. We show up, and it's in the middle of, like, 2 in the morning. Guy has SVT. <laughs> I mean, he needs to be cardioverted, you know. And, and back then, I think we just had Verapamil, you know, to give. And, um, and, uh, and he just was off his game, right? And we could tell, like, Russ and I, because usually he's kind of steering us. And we did the thing. Everything worked out. But the first thing he did when we got back in quarters, he apologized to me and Russ. He said, man, I was just off. I have no excuse. You guys made it happen, and thank you. And I'm like, and, and this is a guy I want you to know. Every time he tested for lieutenant, I ran to just see how well he did because I know he because I was following him. He didn't have to be a lieutenant or an officer for me to be led by him. I would follow him with or without the rank. So that started the premise of leadership in me. Like he cared about everyone. He cared about the people, but he cared about everyone in the firehouse. And he showed kindness even to the, the guys that drove you nuts in the firehouse. And, and he just had this balance to him. And it influenced me in so many ways. And then I had other influences, but that's where I learned. And that's how I learned values. And the other thing I will say, that's his uh, commitment to the fire service. But what blew me away, too, about him, because, you know, we all live together, you know each other, was his commitment to his family. That guy loved his family. And it, his son, Scott, his daughter had, you know, you know the issue she had, Jen. Yeah. But th he, was just a, he was just so well balanced. And he, and he had pressures at home because of the special needs of his daughter. And you would never know it in the firehouse. He just, he was class act. And, I mean, he just had a way. And he, he commanded a room just because of who he was and is as a person and and he just he just had a balance and it was it was good and, and the best thing I have to say is this is what I learned from him you we all have to look for the best the next best version of ourselves so you leave it better than you found it you look you want to look for the next guy that's better than you right now because you want them to be better than you were. It's just like anyone who's a parent, you want your kids to be better than you. You want firefighters. It, 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 and so often pride and ego gets in the way of that. But that guy, he knew how to check that, balance that. And I would like to think, I, I hope, you know, when I'm said and done in Gurney, I, I hope he's proud of what he did for me. Because I hope I'm doing the same thing for others. And And I think the other thing, too, I learned from him is, he was so strong and confident, he could learn from anyone. He didn't have to learn from someone that had 20 years on. He could learn from someone who had one year on because he knew when you come out of paramedic school, you guys know protocol inside and out, right? Yeah. You might not have the skill set, but he knew how to tap into that and make you feel valued and let you grow. He never squashed you from, being, from growing, and it, 
it was good. So that's awesome. I, mean, I don't know if that helps. No, but. you seg and you segued into my next question, kind of anyway, and and you you hit the nail on the head of why I ask who influences you early in your career because. You have obviously recognized that, and you tell him thank you. You let him know that. I think a lot of people don't get that opportunity, and they don't really get to share that where uh, you, you've you made a point to do that. Sometimes people just come and go, and and that and give you what you need, and 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 that's that's it. But you never really get to say anything to them. So, I mean, no. yeah. yeah. If, if I hey, one thing I learned uh, for me personally was I was in the honor guard for years, you know, and, and, uh, and I've been to firefighter funerals and, you know, Ryan's dad's especially, but I realized I had this epiphany or this moment of clarity where I realized we honored firefighters at their funerals, but did we honor them before they fell? And, and that just hit me. And there, there, there was two significant incidents, uh, passing of Russ and then we had a terrible accident at the Gurney Fire Department in 1997. March 27th, 1997, we had um, a malfunction of an oxygen cylinder that NASA had to come in and do the investigation. It, it was crazy. So uh, carbon particles from the diesel fumes got, would get snagged somehow in this screen, and it, it, would block, it would block this screen from the oxygen and created a back pressure, and it created a spark. So Bob Zerba, Lieutenant Bob Zerba, he he was a firefighter back then, but he he went to turn on the oxygen cylinder. It was going on all over the nation, but this was the worst incident to this point. And it was a morning check, and he he pulls it close to his face because it's on zero. Because he first he goes, "Well, I'm mad. They left the oxygen, the portable oxygen, empty." And then the thing flashes, like at two thousand degrees. They figure, you know, he and we wore polyester shirts back then, and he's burning. The ambulance catches on fire. The station's on fire. I, I mean, just everything. It's just, it's it's bad. And and so anyway, I'm at station two. This happened at station one. True alarm goes off, and I'll never forget it. You're, you're driving. We're driving there, and we've burnt breakfast. It's Sunday, too, so we're figured, oh, they burnt breakfast. And I'm like, we burned some breakfast. We've never set off that alarm. And we had no sprinklers in the station back then. So, so we're, we're like, man, they must have really did it. But then all of a sudden, I'll never forget it. We're coming up on the tollway, and we're out 132, and the shift commander was uh, Captain Ron Gramer, Jim Gramer's dad. Jim works with us today, and he he says, this is, I think his number was 1302. He goes, we have a, we had an explosion in the station. We have a firefighter burnt. I need flight for life. And that engine, we were just dead silent, right? So, okay, so I pull up. I'm the engineer, and... Uh, and I remember, for whatever reason, someone came out, because Bob and I were like best of friends back then. And they said, I said, who is it? Who is it? And they said, it's Bob. He's in the kitchen. They got him in there, and he can't breathe and all this stuff. He's all burnt. We need you to help take care of him. So I go there. We're doing all this stuff. But now Flight for Life's landing, because Condell wasn't a, a trauma center at that time like it is now, and they didn't couldn't handle burns so he's going to go up to milwaukee but bob's telling me because we thought he was going to die and he's telling me what to tell his kids and he's telling me he has two necklaces on he's telling me which necklace to give to this son this one to this son i mean it was just it was just sur surreal right so at the end of it um I, I remember sitting on a curb and just praying you know just just praying for God to do something. And he goes, 
off there. And then Tim McGrath was our chief, but we Fred Friedel was our deputy chief, and the chief was out of town on vacation. And what they did, this changed my whole career, the trajectory of what you were talking about, about honoring people and saying it. And I, and that, that changed me because what, this was the best thing. For two weeks, they assigned me to Milwaukee. They put me up in a hotel. And all I did was I was like a liaison to Bob's family, his wife, his kids. All they were, all, all Jill was responsible for was to take care of her husband. I would run home. I would get their mail. I would get whatever they needed. I organized visits. I did all of it. And I think the most humbling thing was I would set up the visits. And when all the firefighters came through, because I'd gotten used to what he looked like, because his face was all, I mean, he looked awful. And he had skin grafts, all this stuff. And, and it, and I just saw what they looked like when they saw them all burnt up in the hospital. You know, you just saw them like, these guys had seen this stuff, but now it's one of their own. And your heart's involved now. It's not, it's not like, you know, this is Mrs. Smith down the street. And I just saw how they all looked. And there was a little bit of division in our department at the time, right? And, and all of a sudden, we became unified. It was like, n none of that other stuff mattered. So I remember I made this oath within myself, a covenant, that if someone is doing something well, if something, I see something good, I'm going to say something and I'm going to show gratitude like I did the moment I got hired because people can influence you not to do that stuff because that's a sign of weakness or a sign of passiveness. And, and it's the opposite. What I've learned and all, I've been doing this all together now, 34 years. And the reason I do it is because I love it. Number one. Number two is if you love something, you're willing to do anything for it. And what I learned from that moment is to find out how to love every firefighter somehow, some way. And what I learned was I knew more about my job. Like you could ask me anything about protocol. You could ask me about how much hose this engine had, what it could pump, so on and so forth. But the guy I was riding with, I don't know if I knew the name of his kids. And, that, and then I made a commitment to that. And to this day, and I say this with a humble heart, I, I know every firefighter's significant other or wife, or we have one female husband to be and their kids by name. And I, and I, and that, that's just how, cause they're the most important thing. And the problem is the most important thing can drive you nuts sometimes because it's just, we're a family. You live in this firehouse, you get on each other's nerves. It, you know, it's just part of it. But I'm telling you when you're faced with someone almost dying or some people probably listen and have had people die. And I know I have had with you just you have a sense of uh, gratitude, if you will, for the firefighters, because they're really living servants to a community in their time of need. And you should honor them before they fall. And it's hard to do, but it's worth it because I've had no regret. I will say this ever doing that, figuring that out. And it took a hardship, though, which most things do in life. So if that makes any sense. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, anyone want to cap that? <laughs> Thank you. I mean, what an incredible! The story's incredible. The message is incredible. I mean, yeah, and uh, and uh, I mean, Lasky echoes your your thing in, in pride and ownership. What you're talking about, right? Honor the people when you can. And but wow, I mean, I, it, it, it's yeah, it, it, it's 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 good. And I want to give a praise to Bob because this is what's cool. Bob Zerba, 
I mean, he could have pensioned out, right? Yeah. And this guy was so disciplined. He wouldn't look at his face because his face, his arms, his neck. There, there's so many. There's so many little stories in the story. But and he's he's like, I don't want to look in the mirror. He goes, I'm just gonna. I just need to do this. And they said he'd be out for a year, right? At least. That guy, and back then our physical agility was the combat challenge. He was back just because of the love of the job, and that's the point. He he had so much gratitude because he got into it late. I mean, he was 35 like when he got hired, you know, full-time. So he, he was a construction guy his whole life, just didn't make much money, lived in a small home, had two boys. So the fire department was a lottery to him, right? And three months, one day later, he's back to full duty. No one saw that coming. And the coolest thing is we picked him up. We picked him up at the state line because the, the chief wouldn't let us take the engine. He wanted and he, in, in the in the engine number, I'll never forget, it was 1312. He said 1312 is back in service. They drove him to his house. And the first thing he did was turn on the oxygen cylinder because he wanted to know if he could do it. And that's seriously, that's the type of guy. That's the type of people we're serving with. You, you know, and sometimes we forget it because we get – you know, you just lose sight of that. And because we disappoint each other. We do. We're human. And I, I always say this. When a guy gets hired, like you interview him, you're going to get the. They're going to be in their suit. You get the best version of who they have to offer. And they're like, this is this is me, you know. And then the real them, though, comes to the door with an invisible suitcase full of who they really are. And they're going to unpack it in your firehouse. And you're going to find their weaknesses. You're going to find the things that they you didn't see in that interview. So all you saw was their promise and potential. And to me, our goal is to help them repack that suitcase so they're better than they were when they came in. And they're gonna help you repack yours too if you let them, because you just never know. And so, I don't know, It's the fire service is a beautiful thing if you let it be. And it can be the worst thing if you let, it, if you just get negative and you start drowning in what you're not instead of realizing what you have. I mean, you basically have set our chat on fire here. Everyone's agreeing with you. You're, uh, you're, good, you're spot good. on, Jim. I mean, yeah, wow. Uh, I, I'm sure, myself included, needed needed to hear that in ways. And, and uh, I know that that really just, if that doesn't hit home, you're, uh, yeah. Wow. Wolches, my my father, uh, uh, Deb Helm, Helm Lazon. Helm Lazon? I'm, I'm going to butcher that, and I'm sorry. I'm really bad at that stuff. But um, just... Yeah, everybody loving you. Wow. Okay. Woo. <laughs> so from there, I mean, let's talk about positivity and leadership because I feel like that's a great segue in coming from what you're talking about. All right. Well, you know, just because you want to be a leader doesn't mean you should be a leader. Um, uh, this is this is my view on leadership. My the goal of leadership. Like, I just feel like the mission of the fire service is basically to serve the community. And when you become a, a formal leader, if you will, even informal, your job is to serve the people that serve the community. And, and at the end of the day, you have to serve them the best version of yourself. If you come in in the morning and you set a tone of negativity, you give them permission to be negative. Um, if you set a tone of uh of positivity you can permission to be positive so this is my thing okay the the best thing about the fire service is when it comes to leadership 
my firefighters will decide if I was a good leader or not. I want to be a good leader, but at the end of the day, it's what they say about you. It's, it's how they see you and it's how you let them see you. So who you are is how, how you'll be remembered, if that makes sense. So leadership to me is making them become better than you, making them think bigger than they already think. Allowing them, like, I want firefighters to think like lieutenants. I want lieutenants to think like battalion chiefs. I want them to make decisions and not be afraid. I want them to be confident. I want them to realize together we can know a lot. Me as an individual, I know this much. Because at the end of the day, and the higher you go up the ladder, you have to remember what it was like to be at the bottom of the ladder. Because the only way you've made it up the ladder is because they're healing the ladder for you so to speak. Yeah, it, it, they just are. And at the end of the day, we do not have a position in leadership without them. We're not needed. The most important person, and it has to be communicated through action and word, is the firefighter. Because they're the ones who face it day in and day out. And now, I think one of the biggest challenges is this. How do you keep them going? Because there's only so much you can change, right? There's only so much you can change. And we're a very busy department, uh, like everyone is. I think everyone's probably understaffed. Everyone would say, oh, we could use this. I think staffing is always the issue. So, so at the end of the day is you have to be a great listener. You have to be a great listener and you have to listen. The best thing to do is sit at that kitchen table in the morning and just observe of what's going on in the firehouse, but also what's going on in their personal lives. If you can figure out their personal lives, you and if you can get bits and pieces, you'll understand perhaps why they're missing a beat in the firehouse. Or if something's going on in their life and they need support and, and you see the behavioral change. So, so often people just make quick judgments instead of asking why and just figuring things out. Too often, I have learned, when you're on the fire ground, you fix things right away. But in the firehouse, you can be patient some. And you can figure it out. This is what I tell my guys. I, like, for example, I'll say, listen, everyone's entitled to a bad day. Everyone's entitled to a bad shift. And I'm expecting us to pick up your slack when you have it. Because some guys are going through divorces. Some guys just saw a baby die the shift before. And they have a baby at home. You, you know, I, I remember, you, you know, I remember we had a, a firefighter from Beach Park take his own life. And our engine company showed up. And our ambulance company in District 2 and I didn't know it was a firefighter, it just sounded like a shooting, but it ended up being a lieutenant from Beach Park, and it was just a sad situation. And and those guys carry that. That that's pretty much like a line of duty death, just different. You, you know, and, and all of that stuff, if you think about it, if you think of a firefighter, you have to think of it like this. They we see the worst of everything in our communities, and we become numb to it. And, and then you're expected to be at your best when you are actually at your worst sometimes. Because when you show up at someone's house or someone's at a school, wherever it is, when they call 911, they're expecting you to be the best. No matter what's going on in your own life, whatever's happening in your own world, it can't happen that day. So this is, this is the motto for us. I, I'll say this to my guys. I will treat you like men if you act like men. If you act like boys, I'll treat you like boys. And they act like men. They do. And uh, but I give them the latitude to act like men because I want them to. I want them to be better than me. 
And then I always say this. I say, if you do the right thing, you do the right thing, you'll sleep better at night. If you're having a conversation in your head trying to justify a conversation or an action over and over again, chances are you were wrong. And then the other thing with leaders is this. When you mess up, everyone knows you messed up. Your pride will get in the way. The worst thing you can do, because when you make a mistake, they all know it. <laughs> it's just like they all know it. Just think about your family. If you're those of you that are married, you have wives, your kids, when you mess up at home, you can't justify it. So just own it. And when you are transparent with your own life and you're transparent about your weaknesses, because they if you want to know my weaknesses, go ask all the 19 firefighters I leave. They'll tell you because they know them. And when you're out of the room, they're having fun about it, right? The other thing I've learned about leadership is this, is you, get, you, um, you, you can't take anything personal. You can't hang on to it. Because when you become an officer or an informal leader, and say you're great in the beginning, there's the honeymoon period, but you're going to disappoint them somehow. And they're going to talk about you, right? And, or they're going to say something. Don't go down the rabbit hole of hanging on to grudges, because if you do, you will limit yourself for everything. And you'll remember that person for that one moment, that one negativity, and then you'll you'll forget about their promise and potential. So at the end of the day, if a guy has 20 years on or has one year on, I'm always looking for their promise and potential because that's why they got hired. As long as they're yours, they're in your department, it's your job not to help them out the door, because if they're not meant to be there, they'll help themselves out the door. Your job is to help them just be the best version of themselves. And you have to be strategic in how you communicate. Here's an example, okay? One-year guy versus a 20-year guy, right? I remember, I, and, I, and I, I process this stuff because I'm thinking of human behavior. Most people are just direct to point. And this is a small thing. I know a lot of people probably listen to Billy Goldfeder, right? Right? Awesome dude. The best thing I heard um, from him is his SOG speech about green light, yellow light, red light. I don't know if you ever heard it, but the red light ones, you got to shut it down right away. So, But most of the ones we deal with are really green or, or yellow, so you got time. But I remember this young guy or older guy who wants to be an officer, right? And we have this thing at the, at the fire department where we work that you have to be in clean shaven. You know, it's not like Chicago fire. You come in all rough looking. It's just the way it is. Even if you're doing a 48, they expect you to shave because the guy's coming on for the 24. You got to shave. So one of my favorite guys, he's sitting there and I'm like, hmm. And he didn't shave. Right. So I'm thinking I could just go up to him and say something. And there was an acting officer. So I, I didn't want him to do it. So I'm thinking about it. So throughout the day, I'm processing this because I know it's something I need to address. And I said, because I and I couldn't let it go. But if you let the little stuff go, then it becomes a big thing. And that's a whole nother story. So so I process this, process it. And then I'm like, all right. So I go I go to him. I say, hey, hey, what, what would you expect when someone shows up to work like, you know, ready to go? Because level readiness is important to me. And he started to tell me clean uniform, ready you know, 15 minutes early, half hour early, have your rig checked, you know, I said, what else? What about appearance? He goes, oh, you got to, you know, your hair's got to look good. You're, you got to have, you got to be clean shaven. And because he didn't shave. And he goes, huh. 
And I, right. And you figure, so you, so it's about how you talk to people. So one year guy is you just, cause people want to, you don't need to be little. You just got it. But you have to spend time and you have to know. And then he said, he goes, I'll go shave right now. I said, no, you won't. You'll do it next time. I don't care, but you have to be the example. If you want to be an officer, I don't want to shave every day either, but it opened the door. So you have, it's the art of knowing people and knowing how to communicate. And then, and then what I do personally, I keep a logbook and I write notes on guys of things they've done right and things they've done wrong and things they've done right. I usually compliment them, but I'm like, oh, this is a learning thing. It doesn't have to be addressed today, but there's going to be an avenue where I can do this because a lot of guys will write themselves eventually if you let them and if you know they have it in them. And, and at the end of the day, you have to. So, so, and I keep these notes and I, it's been a year later where I've had to have conversations and I'll say, look, these are things that I've seen and, 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 and I, I'm able to share it. And there, I've had guys hug me after I've shared these things with them because it, it's, it's done because most people will yell and they don't know how to have a constructive, constructive conversation. I would say the most positive thing is if I'm remembered for anything, this is my goal that he loved us. And, and I would like to thank all my guys because because they're my family and I know who their family is. I know who they are. And when I show up to work, I operate with love in my heart for them to serve them so they can serve the community. I always tell them I can't take calls away. I can't take certain. I can't take the training away, but I can make life in the firehouse good for you. And that's what I try to do because and then and then I never and I the other thing as a leader if they fear you, you failed. Because if they if you if they fear you, even if you're a fellow firefighter, they're worried about pleasing you and not the mission, and they will fail. They will fail on the fire ground. They will fail on the rescue scene. You cannot create a spirit of fear, but you cannot dodge real conversations, and and uh, and that's what I think happens too. A lot of people don't know how to have constructive conversations for the best because at the end of the day um like i'm sure everyone here who's been an officer has dealt with a complaint or heard about it we run about eight thousand calls a year in gurney right that's what we run our minimum manning's 15 and i get maybe one complaint a year like that comes from maybe two right and you know what I think of right away? Not that complaint. I think of all the calls I didn't get a complaint. So, and then, and then I start it like this typically. These are just, depends who it is, but I'll say, can you tell me about this call? And half the time, because the culture's good, they'll tell you what they did and they'll be like, yes, you know, and I could have done this. And then I'll say, and some of it's unavoidable, but I'll say, what could you have done so we wouldn't be sitting here right now? And I even tell some of them, you don't even have to tell me. But just figure that out so it doesn't happen again and we don't have to have this. Because at the end of the day, too often people look for reasons to help people trip when they're already tripping. Our job is to pick them up. And the other thing that I believe too, and I'm just being spontaneous here without having notes and stuff, but, but if a line is drawn between leadership and the firefighters, it's leadership's job to erase the line. Because we have to be bigger. You have to get past that line. I remember I used to teach these leadership classes at NIPSTA. 
And, and, it, and this is, this is the thing uh, I remember, I would always say, okay, what are the issues? What are the big issues in the fire service today or your fire station? Break them into small groups. This is one of my favorites, right? And this is constant t-shirts. T-shirts is the issue, right? We gotta be able to wear t-shirts. I said, all right, so what's the big deal? Well, the chief took it away. We have to wear our class Bs now. Well, why did he take it away? Well, he took it away because some of the guys weren't policing it the way he wanted because the t-shirts have to be respectable. They can't look like they're construction worn out t-shirts and some of the guys were doing that. So he took them away from everyone. I said, okay. And I said, so your department's up in arms about this right now. Yep, he goes, we're all divided. It's the hot topic. I said, okay. I said, okay, now I'm not saying this isn't important, and this is where firefighters get themselves in trouble. And I've been part of that, you know, there's no doubt, uh, but I'll say, okay, so what are you gonna do about it? And they're like, well, we're gonna stand our ground. Chief stand in his ground. I said, well, this is my point. No matter what your issue is, <laughs> you have to figure out how big, is it a sword you wanna die on? If that t-shirt policy is so important to you now, okay, and this is a barometer for leaders too, um, I said, why didn't you ask about it in your interview? Like, what's your t-shirt policy? Cause it, cause you didn't care. Right. I said, why do you care now? And I, and I, and this is where I'll say, usually people care about that little stuff because they don't feel valued by their leadership and they look for a reason to fight. And they know, I'm telling you, if you, if you look at the fire service, what happens when, when unions and, and administration start dividing, it's because they don't feel valued. And this is the challenge for the fire service in my, in my heart and in my mind, is a firefighter needs to be valued in the firehouse by everyone. And they have to earn that too, the respect, but, and you have to encourage them to value the mission. And you have to give thank yous whenever you can. And because and, at the end of the day, as much as, and this is the beauty of my career, as much as fire chiefs, uh, or anyone that's on days that isn't on front line right now, it, it's different because when you're on shift, you're in it and you're in it and you're in it every third day, 48s, everything, shift trades, you know how the drill is, special team training, you have a family, the sub pump goes out, it's, you're just never around when your family needs you, it, it's a grind in so many ways. And, and then what happens when you get off, because I went on days for a very long time as a training officer. And I felt still connected, but I came back to shift as a battalion chief years later. And I realized I did forget the grind, honestly, of what shift guys go through. And, and it, as much as you think you're there with them and, you're, and one of your guys is taking a call at 11 at night because one of the kids can't sleep or whatever, and they're home alone, they have no one to call, trying to put the wife back together, and then the tones drop and they got to leave. It's just, it's a grind. It's a sacrifice. When I walk into the firehouse, I see firefighters. I see guys who are willing to give themselves to a community in their time of need. But we need to be, we need to give ourselves to them no matter what, in their time of need, whatever it is. And you need to make their life good in the firehouse by making yourself available to them. And too often, we just hold grudges as leaders. We just hold on to little stuff that's so insignificant. But if we had to go to their funeral, we're going to give a heck of a speech. And it's finding that that line, you know. So yeah. Ah, yeah. Oh, you keep leaving me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're good. 
Not that I'm the one that talks on this show anyway. It's the guest, but still, uh, again, yeah, uh, I'm I'm trying to go back through some of our chat here, and, and uh, uh, my 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 old man saying here, you've already dropped three or four chapters of a leadership book from from a perspective that he's never heard before. You just need a title, and he's spot on. <laughs> I mean, oh, you've at least you. got 12 chapters that we just probably came up with subjects huh. for. So uh, just, yeah, it, it's incredible stuff. And, and, and it's things that people definitely need to hear. I mean, it's uh, especially in the leadership position. I mean, you said well, one of the things that you brought up, you know, uh, if there's a disconnect, right? If there's that line in the sand that 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 leadership needs to kind of come, no, come yeah. back, right? And, and so oh, often yeah. that either doesn't happen or it's not recognized or maybe it's too late and yes as as a blue shirt i'm a blue shirt right as a blue shirt i know that 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 we do our fair share of unjustified complaining i can say that right and well, yeah but there's still like you're you know getting at like there's there's a reason behind that right and I love your way of phrasing it is that they don't feel valued i i when i think if you were to hear firefighters talk about some of their woes and the things that they go through, I I, it, I feel I'm like that's you, a common denominator when I really think of the stories that I hear people talk through. Because you you I look at it like this: it's like because they they didn't get into they got into I mean most of us of I mean think about it so many I mean so many at least my generation came in as volunteers do it for nothing. You didn't care. You just wanted to be part of it, right? And then usually when something turns, something breaks in the firehouse. And sometimes it's the blue shirt, sometimes the leader, sometimes a combination of both, or it's one or the other. But at the end of the day, I'm just telling you, it's it's like if my family's broken, I got to fix it. And I got to humble myself. I, You know you, you know what I mean? If, so, if I'm at odds with my wife, man, I can either make that worse or make that better. And this is... This is the secret. You make yourself accountable to everyone. Anyone can call you out. Okay. So anytime I made significant changes in the firehouse or I was trying something new, just because that's one thing I love about our fire department. We have SOGs, but they let us, they let all us commanders kind of just do our thing as long as we're in the, in the parameters of the field, so to speak, you know, and they don't have to throw a yellow flag. So they let us be creative with with within reason and it's awesome so i've made some aggressive changes when i first became a battalion chief like these station moves and these teams and everything and i i asked everyone what they thought of it i wanted real input and guys told me their concerns their concerns and then i asked them i said all right can we just try it for a year and if you don't like it or i'll be anything and they they come back and they give me feedback like no this was good but we should do it like this or we should do it like this and i'm like okay so so at the end of the day um, I remember I, I, uh, um, you know, if it, and when you mess up on a, on a call, they all know it, just own it. And I, and I, and the, and, and you have to be comfortable with that. And, and I learned that, believe it or not, and, and I'll be brief, but from my boys, I didn't want to fail as a father because I grew up in a very awful way. So I, I was like, I was scared to death to get married. I was scared to death to have kids because I just didn't know how to do it. And I remember I held my son for the first time, my first son. I'm like, this is going to work. And then and then I was in this group about raising kids and stuff at my church. And and I remember this. And and all these people, we broke up in these groups and they talked about 
how your parents messed you up, right? And I had gotten past that a lot in my life, a lot of that stuff. But I remember thinking to myself, if my boys are sitting here when they're older, what are they going to say about me? Like, so, so now just take that. Now think about everyone in your own life from in the firehouse. What are they going to say about you when you retire? What are they going to say about you when you get up from the table, right? So, so I remember my boys were really young and one was maybe five and one was three, but I took the five-year-old and I said, look, I'm going to try something new here. But if I mess up as a dad or a husband to mom, you know, and I talked to him like he was five, you know, and he understood. I said, I'm giving you permission to tell me I was wrong. And I did that with my other one. And there is not a time. And I thought, well, they might use this to their advantage. Right. You know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they never did. I remember. And this was cool. I remember me and my wife got an argument. I go in the basement, my man cave. Michael comes down. He's like six now. Right. And he goes, Dad, you were wrong. He's calling me out, calling me out. And then I'm talking to him like I'm talking to you, like a grown man, justifying my behavior. <laughs> he let me rant, right? Let me go, let me go. He lets me go. It's awesome. And he goes, Dad, are you done? I go, yeah. He goes, when you're, when you're ready, you need to go say sorry to Mom. I'm going upstairs. And he goes upstairs. So that type of accountability I have brought into the firehouse. So I've given my guys permission to call me out. I'm like, if I misspeak to you, if I don't treat you right, if I, if I do something wrong, and it's not lip service, you can call me out. And I remember I was just at a conference not too long ago, and the speaker said, and I did it without hesitation, but I don't know if I'd have done this earlier in my life. He said, is anyone here okay admitting they're wrong? And I, wrote, I raised my hand without even thinking. And he looked at me like, really? I said, yeah, because when you're wrong, everyone else already knows you were wrong. So why hide it? It's, it's like, and, and he goes, well, how do you know when you're really wrong? I said, when I keep justifying a bad idea in my head over and over again, like it was okay. So forever, wherever that's worth. I, I love it. When you're wrong, everyone already knows you're wrong. Yeah, it's the truth. It's, especially it's, yeah. the, especially in the fire service. You're right. Yeah, because we live together. Yeah. You, you, you know what I'm saying? It's just the way it is. Yeah, I yeah. think, uh, and I can't remember if it was in Seven Habits or another book that I read. That was that was uh, one of the principles I think that came out of that as well, and not obviously as in the same way that you put it, but um, creating an environment where someone's able to give you that feedback. Like you need to be open to those things at every level. You're spot on with what you're what you're saying with that, and and not just at in your know, leadership position, but even even in again in my position as a blue shirt. Because it's the same thing. We all know. We're all learning the same stuff for the most part, right? Absolutely. We all have the same protocols. We all have the same SOGs. So, yeah. you know, people know if you're doing the wrong thing or something. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. It's, it's that. Yeah. And then no. for the most part, when we all share the same code of ethics as firefighters, you definitely know when someone's not doing what they're supposed to do with that. But if you don't have an environment where people can say those things and you let it fester and nobody says anything yeah. and no one corrects it, then it, it just it, all of a sudden, you know, you put a bandaid on a trauma wound. Yeah. You just got it. Some things have to be addressed sooner rather than later. Yeah. And then some things like I, I had this uh, one lieutenant and we he was going through a hard time. Right. And I know him. He's he's my guy. He he's a guy. He's not on my shift anymore, but one of the best ever. Right. He's just going through a hard time. To what's going on at the department. And I know him. 
And and I'm just like, man, I want to say something, right? I'm, I just you just got to have discernment and judgment and your gut. You know, that's what Tim was like, Tim Tanner. He was just had that gut instinct. He just he'd feel things out, you know, that sixth sense or the seventh sense, I mean. But anyway, he's going through this hard time, right? And I'm just looking at him and I and I'm like, man, I need to say something, but I think he's gonna figure it out, right? And he figured it out. He flipped it. And then I talked to him later about it. And we had a conversation. I said, I just want you to know, I never said anything. I want you to know why. Because one day he's going to be a battalion chief. I'm convinced of it, right? I said, because when you're sinking as a battalion chief, you're the only one that can pull yourself out. I said, guys might notice it, but when you're sinking, but you have to remember, too, when you start to sink, you bring everyone along with you. A couple golden rules for me is this. I, I will never... And I would not expect this from an officer or I communicate this to my shift, never to use the word, I hate that guy or I hate that gal. The moment you say I hate, you give your whole shift permission to hate. The other thing I do with officers is we never talk down to one another in front of the blue shirts. I said, you know what? It's just because you give them permission to disrespect everything. I, I said, and you will not talk poorly of another officer in front of the firefighters. I mean, there's fun and there, there's a fine line between humor and stuff. But when it comes down to attack, because they, they already know what the issue is with that officer. There's no reason for you to even do it because it just gives because there's just a point where you have to find there has to be some sort of honor there. And and we just get too loose with that. You know, there, there's a time where the chief, the fire chief, my deputy chief, they, they, they may disappoint me. Right. But at the end of the day, I can't, I can't do that. And this is the, uh, I can't, I can't sell them out in front of the guys because of one thing. If they're trying to kill us or something, which they're not, then that's a deal, right? So, so at the end of the day, you just, you just can't do that. Um, and and that, that's just, that's just something for that I believe in there. And, and then if you communicate that and you carry it out and then, um, and then there, there's a time, too, where you get sucked in at the coffee table, right? And you're just like, you can, you can go down a slippery slope with oh, some yeah. of those conversations. But that's where I have found some of the best leaders, where you just listen and don't participate. Well, they'll be slamming a firefighter. Oh, th- he does this. He does this. And then one guy will go, but he does this well. There's potential there. There's promise there. You, you know, that sort of thing. So, which is good. All right. Let me, let me finish with this a little bit with leadership. <laughs> I, and this is this. I have this thing I invented a long time ago, and it's 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 an acronym called We Care. Okay, and I'll explain it real quick. We care. We believe in the mission. That's the W. We believe in the mission. The mission has to come first. E is enthusiastic leadership, enthusiastic passion for the job. You have to always find a reason to believe in what you're doing, and usually the thing that can carry you through there is if you have a brotherhood and a family in the firehouse, you can help each other find that again. I'm telling you, is if it's healthy in the firehouse, like I said, it'll be healthy on the fire ground. You'll, if you went in the firehouse, you will conquer the fire ground. You just will, but it has to be good in the firehouse. Care is community commitment. You have to commit to the community you serve, and leaders need to commit to the community they serve, which is the firefighters. And you cannot waver in that commitment because they're going. The community's going to let you down. The village, the city's going to let you down. Your chief's going to let you down. But you cannot give up on why you're there because the fire service in this dark world of ours, from time to time, is a symbol of hope. When they see a fire engine, a fire truck, fire car, they see people that are willing to sacrifice their lives to help others or give their lives freely for 24 hours 
and it matters. And remember this, when you show up, you usually have one chance to leave an everlasting impression of the fire service. Because unless you have those repeat customers, which we all have a handful, but for the most part, no one plans on calling us in their day. And never, never define what you think 911 is to their perspective, because they call it for everything we wouldn't call it for. We know that to a certain degree. So it is what it is. You know, if Mrs. Smith needs her battery changed at two in the morning, so be it. It is what it is. That's what we, yeah. we're there to serve. So, uh, and then the A is achieve achieve goals um set goals for yourself that are achievable and never give up on your dreams because those of you who have it took me forever to get hired right i you know so it it took me like three and a half years finally to get that call from gurney but never give up and those of you that i know the grind to be an officer i was never one and done in anything i took the battalion chiefs the captain's test like five times the lieutenant test twice it, it, it's just, but the, the thing is, when you take those tests, you learn about yourself. Just be grateful for what you already have. You're just, you're not losing anything. You're just trying to accomplish something. And then I wouldn't change the outcome of how long it took me to get where I was after I've been there. And all I did was create more stress and tension, worrying about what I didn't have. It's a waste of energy. Just enjoy what you have. And remember this, some of the best firefighters in the world never wore a bugle and you know some of them i'm sure of it so and the r is always be responsible and um just be responsible for you responsible for yourself for your heart your mind your body be fit for duty be ready for duty and never give up on being willing to give the, the three things that i believe in every day that we need to do is our level of readiness have our rigs checked have your personal stuff together the best you can we're going to train and we're going to go on calls the rest of it's fluff because you have to train i'm a big training guy i could get into that but just train 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 because at the end of the day it does matter even the repeat drills it, it does matter and then uh the last one is engage in integrity for the just be honest be truthful and if you are truthful as a leader or if you're you can influence others and i want you to know no matter where you're at in your organization, the best leader I ever worked for was a firefighter, and he eventually became a battalion chief. His name was Tim Tanner. He was, a, I'm telling you, that guy, I would have followed that guy anywhere. I would have followed him anywhere. He just, to this day, when I mention his name or I think about him, I have a picture in my basement of me and him at an old burn down, where our backs, you know, he's just phenomenal people. So you just never know. And you never know uh, what you can be for someone else in their time and need in the firehouse. So get through life together, I'm telling you. And this is that I say to my, my, my firefighters. I said, when you leave here, you're not going to miss the calls. You're not going to miss the grind of it. But I want you to miss each other because you were part of something special, because you were a family. And if you're a family... You can do anything because a family will do anything for each other because everyone talks the brotherhood. Everyone talks, but you have to realize if you create that and everyone's got to be part of it and and you have to be adjustable to everyone's personality, who they are, what they are. And I will say this to any leader out there, leading the good ones is easy because they make you look good. It's the ones that are hard will, that, that will make you a great leader. Never give up on any of them. Never until they walk out the door. Yes, that's my advice. So. Uh, 
my old man say, we care, chapter 14 of the book. <laughs> <laughs> Which I forgot a certain someone plays drinking games. So 100%, absolutely, 100%, absolutely, 100%, absolutely. Have fun with that one, Dad. Nice. Uh, anyway, so um, we've talked about some of the, the other questions that I kind of put up here for you. But I, I still kind of want to touch on some of the things uh, that we, we brought up, right? So um, – Obviously, you have great love for your shift, for your guys, for your firefighters, for your brothers, your sisters. And um, I, I know we're, we already kind of are talking about some of that anyway, but, man, there, there's nothing better to talk about sometimes than that. So please, if, if you will, kind of share. It's true. It's love. Like, you can really tell that, that it's love for yeah. your people. Yeah, like like if I if – I, at the end of the day, I told you what motivated me to get there, right? through that call with Bob really. And, um, and at the end of the day, I, I realized is if you, if, if you, if you figure out what to love about him, I'm going to share this. I was a young firefighter and, and I, I screwed up a lot when I was young, I was arrogant and cocky some, you know, cause I felt like, you know, I had this gift and I just wanted to work so hard to be the best I can be. Right. And if you weren't hanging with me, I, I, I was rude. I, I had to call some people up and apologize because I was convicted. And I was just like, I screwed up. I, I was I was at the height of my game of being good at my craft, but I didn't care for my team because they some guys couldn't keep up or gals or whatever it was. And and I probably wasn't even really that good, but I just worked hard, right? I was a young firefighter and I realized, man, I treated people rough. Um I I was wrong, you know, and it's because I didn't have love in my heart. I was selfish. I was just trying to prove myself. And this was in the beginning of my career. And I remember uh, one of my favorite people in the world, because and I, and I'll share his name, was Dennis Ostrander from uh, Round Lake. And he was one of those guys I had apologized for. And he teases me to this day because I can't believe how much he changed. But I was young. And I was going down the wrong path. And that's not what Tanner taught me, right? It was just, I just, it was like a two-year period. It was just a rough time for me. And it was just bad. And then I realized I can't be like that. I, I just can't be like that. So what I learned to do was realize, take a firefighter in general. I love what a firefighter is supposed to be. And then I take every individual person, all every every person, and I found something to love about all of them. And, and, and then you just hang on to it. And then you have the opportunity. And what I do as a shift commander, and I think this is really where I have one-on-one -on -one time, or not one-on-one -on -one time, but corporate time with them. Anytime, a lot of departments, when you do a review, it's just the lieutenant sits with them. I bring in all the lieutenants for every firefighter and myself. And I was probably the first shift commander that did that. And I always go at the end. And I have an opportunity just to pour into them. Because it's not about what's written on the paper necessarily, but it's what is said and how you communicate it and how you say it. And then you have to do the little things. When you hear truth bombs about their life at the table, you hang on to that stuff. And when you have an opportune time, you sit and you talk and you say, hey, is there anything you need to talk about about this or anything further. I'm here if you need me. I've had guys in tears. <laughs> I've had guys just share. It's because 
I would like to think, and I say this humbly, I've created a safe place for them because they know I legitimately care for them and I'm not out to hurt them. And then sometimes it takes a while because you look for the opportunity. Like I had this one guy where he just, you know, he's disgruntled, he's, his personal life's a mess and all this stuff and he's mad at the department. And I had something on him unintentionally that could have really screwed up his career. And I did nothing with it except when the time was appropriate to say, then he knew how much he could trust me. And then things changed ever since to say, look, I would never do it because I'd ruin your life for this one. If I take this one thing you didn't do well compared to everything else you've been trying to do well, you're too valuable. I mean, and, and his tears are welling up, you know, and but because he knew he could trust me, but it takes time. And, and most people get frustrated when relationships aren't working the way they want as quick as they want but if you just look at them and you just in your mind you're like that guy could die in the line of duty today he's going to get my best and 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 not that that happens all the time but it does it does or someone gets hit by a car on the toy or whatever you know it it just is or a guy gets cancer like russ is like russ did you, you know ryan's dad it's just one of those things and if i could share a touching story about that can I jump into that? Absolutely. Is that okay? Yeah. Is this one of those rabbit holes? Because I think everyone would appreciate Rabbit this. holes okay. and rabbit holes. All right. And I've shared this with Ryan because I, I, Ryan knows. All right. Russ was eager to be a lieutenant, right? He all of a sudden just didn't want to have anything to do with rescue anymore, right? He just was that guy. And he, he was a mover and shaker, loved the fire service, was in it for all the right reasons, right? Now he gets cancer. and it, it, He has brain cancer. And it's not looking good. So, and, and this is another great thing about Chief Fred Friedel. I was on days then. I took Russ everywhere. If he needed to go to chemo in the city, uh, Shannon, his wife, we'd do all this stuff there. So we became even closer because we started the fire service together, all this. Anyway, so it, it's coming to his, the end of his uh, light duty time, right? And he knows he'll never make it. He tried to come back. And it just wasn't going to happen. And because of the brain cancer, he couldn't speak very well. But we're up in the aerial ladder truck, just me and him, all by ourselves. And we're doing, we have this building and we're doing this training. And he just starts to weep. And he said, you know, he pointed at the ambulance. He said, I, I, I hated that thing. I just, he goes, I would do anything to ride that the rest of my life in the fire department. I, I. He goes, I, I have regret that I let that get to me so much. And he goes, and all I wanted to be was an officer. I could care less uh, ever being an officer. I just want to be a firefighter. And if I need to ride the ambulance every day again, I will ride the ambulance. If I need to ride the fire truck, he goes, I just want to do this job. And I did not want to leave it this way. And he's just crying. And he had so much little regret. And what I'll say to you all is this, and I say it to myself, is I say, well, I'll have regret in life, but minimize your regret. I mean, just at the end of the day, because when you walk out the door for the final time of your fire department, you're going to leave who you were and who you are. And you want to leave it better than you found it. And you want to leave it with a, I think, with a point of that you made a difference for everything and you tried your best. And, you know, at the end of the day, it, that's the beauty. People will decide who you were, regardless of how you see yourself. So we all need to ask ourselves, how do people really see us? And Russ, 
unfortunately saw himself when it was a little too late, you, you know, to make that right. And it, it's sad. It hurts my heart because he, me and him were like this. We started together and everything. And, um, yeah, and he went through that battle for three years. And I know some departments out there might be listening tonight where you've had that because cancer is a real thing. And it's being recognized in the fire service for what we do and everything we're exposed to. And that's another reason to love him because you just never know, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Because love makes you do crazy things. Think about when you're all dating and chasing your wife, right? You know? So, or whatever. Or chasing your husband or whatever it is. But, yeah. you know. I'm, you're, you're leaving me speechless for segues, and I'm usually pretty good at those things, but. It's, well, keep going. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. It's I feel okay. like I'm screwing. Am no, I screwing don't up? be I'm sorry, sorry at all. I'm sorry the, if I am. Um, I asked for grace. I need grace. The stories are, are so yeah. powerful for people to hear and, and, and your perspective. And just, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm in the chat with everyone else just sitting here and listening. So it's, it's, you, thank you. Um, Let's talk about something. We'll, we'll kind of shift gears a little bit. So uh, Gurney itself has, you guys have an amusement park. You got all sorts of weird oh, yeah. box oh. things. Oh, yeah. And uh, you got the pyramid fire, which is another oh. thing, which I, yeah. I think it'd be pretty cool to share some of that. But can you talk about some of, uh, specifically, you know, with the theme park and Six Flags and, and High Angle Rescues, some just out of the box things that you guys do that maybe other people haven't experiment yeah. or experienced or even really know exist. Okay. I, I think the unique thing about Gurney is just great America. Right. And you can throw the pyramid house in there. Cause no one, you know, we can talk about that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but great America is unique in its own way. They have their own safety team. Their own, they, they, they actually are have paramedics in the Highland park system there. So they have, they have two first aid areas there. And then, um, we go there, quite a bit you know when they're open and uh, you know back in the day when there wasn't cell phones but now people just call 911 and sometimes six flags doesn't even know they have a call going on in their park sometimes we know before they do where before that wasn't the case so so we're dispatched to locations they have internal routes behind the scenes that get us to where we need to go and that sort of thing so we run a lot of rescue calls there in the summer just to leave that you know there's been some terrible accidents there over the years uh um i remember uh, uh there was a and this tim tanner would have been on this was before my time but the demon roller coaster cut someone in half one of the employees um someone um lost their uh it was a ride that spun in a circle and the floor dropped out and they didn't get it up oh, to the yeah. right rp and someone's foot got caught and got amputated i was on two calls for the viper where someone left their hand outside of the train coming into the station. And when the train comes into the station, there's a wooden deck and there's no space. And sure enough, their foot, one was a foot, one was a hand, the same thing. And it's just hanging on by skin. So you, you, they were trapped. So if you pulled their hand, I would just come off. So we had to use some extrication tools to get them out. Um, when it came, when it comes to their the threat of high angle rescue and confined space, they have some confined spaces for lift stations. They have their own internal water system, um, and I actually we I repelled and because I was on the TRT team, I still am for years. And and anyway, back in the '90s, I started and I've repelled and done so many scenarios. But on the um, 
I guess the uh, SkyTrack Tower, their tallest ride. Uh, what, the biggest concern with Great America is not so much the guests because they they do have roller coasters get stuck, but they can evacuate them through stairs and stuff like that or ladders. And then they've done that or they temporarily get stuck. They have a whole maintenance team that facilitates that. But two significant calls. One was a SkyTrack tower where a guy was all the way at the top of it inside and and his back went out. So we had to go up and get him and use some rope stuff to lower him down. And then a famous one that made national news was the demon again, where a roller coaster got stuck upside down with the people in it because the back tire came off or the back wheels came off and it acted as a friction and it stopped like where they were all hanging upside down. So ladder trucks were able to work there and the maintenance would release them at a time. But there's been some traumatic injury there for sure. Uh, there's been violent crime there, shootings. Um, yeah. Shootings are always in the parking lot, never in the park. Yeah. They they do a good job. Just certain people come down there just to create problems and trouble. So there's been shootings, um, stabbings in the park. You know, there's been knife fights, gang activity. Um, so so th there was a and now it, it's like hit or miss with that. Uh, but it is it is interesting. But for the most part, you know, they can have up to 40,000 people in that park a day. And, you know, yeah. it is it's it's busy and it, it creates everything around the town to be busier, too. You well, know what I mean? That's the one thing I think that's in. Uh, well, there's probably there's a lot of interesting things about your district, but but the population density is it's, oh, yeah. it fluctuates so much oh, it, with, with the mall. The mall. Too, oh, yeah. Right. And, and, and there's more yeah. reasons, you know, things to come into. It's not just that it's the indoor water park now. So like there's, there's a lot of people that come in weekends, summer. Oh yeah. And then they're gone. Right. Yeah. It, it's very interesting. I, I yeah. Also, there's a flux. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that the demon story was true until now. I always thought that was an old wives tale that someone was cut in half to scare kids. No, no, go on no demon. I didn't I, know that was I, real. I heard it from the guys that were there. <laughs> They were like, no, it, had, it was a worker or something. Your dad might even he been on the probably should. I should ask yeah. him about that. Again, I, I, but... I don't know. I just remember the guys told me, and I don't know what year, but it was before my time. <laughs> but that was legend. And there was times where it's funny where someone, you know, because they, they do a security sweep. Yeah. And I can remember showing up at a call where some they thought someone fell asleep on the bench and they had a cardiac arrest and they were just dead. Yeah, yeah, they're just laying there. And no I mean, but again, there's so many them, people but... walking by like, ah, oh, just yeah. leave him alone, Billy. He's probably a... <laughs> like, Ugh. Yeah, but there's all kinds of little, you know. I remember just... we had, I think it was, I was in seventh grade and, and they took us to Gurney Mills for physics. And so okay. it's an excuse to go to Gurney Mills for the day, which is fun. Or, sorry, not Gurney yeah. Mills. Oh my gosh. The, uh, uh, Six Flags, not Gurney Mills. Six Flags, I'm, okay. Oh, because I mean, of the... Uh, yeah, why would you, yeah, why would you go to the Gurney Mills for physics? Sorry. But anyway, yeah. so uh, I remember waiting in line for the demon. And, and we have like a little straw with a thing in it to see how many G-forces you hit. Like there was this whole Bill Nye thing going yeah. on. And yeah, yeah. I remember distinctly a kid turning to me and going, you know, someone was killed by this and cut in half, right? <laughs> and like everyone yeah, in line's it, like, that's yeah, not uh, real, is yeah. it? Like trying to freak no, everyone it, out. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know Barry Henby was on it. That's all I know. Yeah. I know he was on it. So, yeah. yeah He's the one who told me about it. So. Man. I'm, I'm calling up the old man one of these days. Although he probably wasn't yeah. on it, but maybe, yeah. you know. Well, he, he might have been on the department when, yeah. you know, I don't know about it. So, 
Uh, I do have an audience question for you here, and it's and, uh, it's, it's a good one. So uh, what do you see uh, is the next innovation to the fire service? Innovation? Innovation. Oh, you know, yeah, you know, this might be, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think, I think, um, man, I have to think about that because I'm thinking of the innovations I've seen. Okay, if I will, if I may. Yeah. First of all, whoever asked that question don't be afraid to have one of your own, especially if you're young, because this is what I envision. Okay. I envisioned a long time ago, someone said, Hey, let's put roofs on fire engines. Wouldn't that be a great idea? And the old guy said, that's stupid. This is how we've always done it. Same with air packs. I'll breathe in this crap, but there's always something we're moving in it, in it, in a, in a good direction. I, I, I would like to think, and I, I hear the technologies out there. So I don't know if it's how new it is, but, the best innovation is when technology's there, it's affordable to the fire service. And um, I was talking to um, someone who just went through a fire academy and they tried this thing on that's out there, but they can hear people's thoughts like, like through this, the military use it like, like, like you can talk or something like it, it, it's crazy. And it's, it's just, it's like, cause the worst thing that exists like right now for us is I, I just think is the two-way radio. It, it's just awful, right? It's staticky, so on and so forth. Cell phones are better, but just to have better communication in there. And I think, I think, wouldn't it be great if, like, you have heads-up display? Your mask was just, you you would have vision through smoke somehow. You would have your own tick, if you will, yeah. without holding it up to your face. I, I, I just it just takes longer than it should. Yeah. Right. That that's the problem. Uh, um I think this is the other thing that's gonna happen and I don't know how good it is, but everything's gonna be electric. I hear there's electric engines out there, um, that sort of thing. I, I don't know. Um I think at the end of the day it takes one thing that will never change in our lifetime for sure is it you need firefighters to do it, regardless of what the innovation is. Yeah. And and at the end of the day, firefighters have to have the same core values to doing the right thing at personal cost. You, you know what I mean? You have to become you have to become greater than the issues in the world and just fix problems. Um, I would say this. I think one of the biggest things, and I know it's already out there, but and I and I say this with with truth and respect is that I think, I think the fire service, I, this is what I believe. See, you're a career firefighter. You're on a deployment for 20 to 30 years of seeing stuff that most people would never see. And I, I think, I think, I think there's a way to help firefighters finish mentally better that, cause th this is what'll happen is I think, I think when you start, you're all new and shiny, you have this energy, but then you see a lot of things that accumulate and then it, it'll catch up to you potentially. And I think, I think firefighters down the road, if you're starting out, I hope there's just avenues to just make people have healthier hearts, healthier minds when they leave, just because it's a grind. And I, I share this personal experience. I remember I, 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 I had, I had, some major uh, sh shoulder surgery done and I was off for like three months. And I remember when I was off in that time and I came back to shift, I forgot. I was like, it was hard. Cause I, you forget when you're in the grind every third day, 
it's not a big deal. But when you get out of it, you realize what you're in. And if anyone's been off for a while, I'm telling you, it is a grind. And it, from your sleeping patterns to everything. Uh, so, you know, because everyone's into just society, mental health and all this. And it's not a bad thing uh, at all. It's a good thing. But I think the fire service in general, um, I think, is shifting in a good direction with that. Because I think, because if you sit around a table and you hear and you hear guys talk and everyone deals with what they see and what they do different. And you just have to have a good feel for that. But when it comes to technology, I mean, I've seen a lot of stuff come, but just nothing really works well. You know, like in my little circle. No, I'm with you. You know, like MSA came out with this, uh, you know, you can read these, uh, the air pressures uh, on, the, on the tracking system. But when you're running command by yourself, you don't have time to look at that board. There's not enough people. Um, you have to have the, I, I think, if, if there's anything and not even, I just wish fire departments were properly staffed. That if you could do that, yeah. and, and and I mean it, and and for whatever reason, I, I don't know why that is, why why um, why we just and and I know, and I say this to everyone, I have never been a fire chief, I have never been a deputy chief, so I don't know those shoes. But every rank below, I've been, so I, my opinion can carry weight from that rank below. But I will never criticize like. I don't know the pressures they all feel to do what they need to do. So I would say to anyone, unless your chief's literally trying to kill you, you know, give them some latitude to just, just if they're really trying, because you have to decide, because I always say this, look for the person, is that the best version of who they are? And if that's who they are, that's, that's who they're doing their best within themselves, you know, and you might not be able to change them or whatever, and always learn from leaders on how to do things and maybe not how to do things. So if that makes sense. So I, I don't, you know, I guess I dodged that question. Some, You're okay. You're but, okay. But I just really, I just really don't know. I, you know, because at the end of the day, you know, you go to the, like I go to FDIC and I love it. You see all these gadgets, but you see all this stuff that's there, but I don't see it at your knee because you just don't have the money. Yeah. You, you, you know, you know what I'm saying? No, I, I you know, you know what I would love to to see. To be honest with you, is um, is I don't know. I think if there was a way for a firefighter, just by himself, just just to be able to see in a structure that you can't see, it just if there was some technology that could come out to make that happen, because I just you're at such a disadvantage. Oh yeah, uh, uh, yeah. You, you know, you know what I mean, and. It just stinks. So we started that would be the, I would love for that. I don't know if anything like I mean, the tick helps, it's, but they fail. We got they, a smaller one that's just so it's it's not good at fire behavior. Yeah. Like admittedly, yeah. that's not what it was for. And I know MSA's got it built into the thing, but I you know when we were looking no, at stuff, I know like that's kind of and then you got to hold it up. It's, yeah, and, right? and you need your hand for something so else. So we got just a straight up. Uh, Fleer mm -hmm. makes them. Not that, not that I'm sponsored, yeah. but Fleer makes them, and it's a small one. And it was for that. It was for orienting, and not everyone's bought into the concept. And that's okay, whatever. Like that's yeah. fine if you don't want to carry it. But that was our that was our attempt at something like that. The officers got his one for making decisions and and it, you know able to see fire condition changes and stuff like that. And for the back step for for the, the tailboard guy, you're pulling that out. You can do a sweep orient yourself and then go to work. You know what I mean? And I'm oh, with absolutely. you. Like that's invaluable for you to be able to have a mental picture and then and then go at it. 
They, yeah. I know they tried stuff. Like Scott had the one that was just this big thing. That yes, was not, I know. And, it, like, and, eh, and then it, the, like the screen was down here. And, yeah, it it just it just it would be neat if it all could be in your mask, right? If it know? could. It, Right in front of you, like some, some, yeah, some Iron I, I Man know. stuff it, going on, you it, know. It would but... just be cool. And I'm sure it would just, the cost. Yeah. To, and I'm sure manufacturers would look like, well, who's going to buy it if they can't, we, sure. if we can't make it affordable. I think correct? eventually, so. like you're saying, eventually that stuff kicks in, right? So, like, you think yeah. ticks are a perfect example. Like, they were huge bricks and now, you know, yeah, they're I consolidated. Know. Yeah, they're still expensive, but they're, I mean, you get a, you know, oh, a yeah. tick that does the job for really, you know, not so much. Compared no, no, to it's it better was, now, right? It just takes time. It just it, and then like uh, everything, it just they get smaller, they get more affordable. More people make them because they, well, quite frankly, because they realize they can make money. Yeah. you know, MSA goes, Oh, they were doing all that. All right, well, we'll do it too. But it there's like a I don't know. There, there's a wave. There's a there, there's an uptime to get them to that point. Yeah, so, you know, it's when I when I think of. Uh, um ems versus fire i feel like because there's such a there's so much money in ems and we benefit from it from the hospitals like i, I just look at how cardiac monitors have changed right. they, they have just like that like right? that yeah, yeah and they just keep getting better yeah. because it's it's just not us having them their hospitals healthcare is a big deal and when it comes to the fire part it just takes longer because i don't think there's a demand and people can't afford it and there's yeah. no one else pushing it there's no you know big funding you, yeah, yeah, for it. Yeah, like yeah. That, so I always just always compare those two, and I feel like EMS is just always just grooving a little bit faster yeah, than the fireside. Totally, but if that makes sense. Well, and like I don't know. I guess maybe it's easier for an EMS like. Um, Oh my God, I'm drawing a blank. Like a, like an EMS area to say this is what you will carry if you want to be part of this. If you want your life, you know what I mean. So like they require yeah. certain things. So. We, you have no choice. You have to. Where the fire doesn't, fireside doesn't do that. The fireside doesn't no. go. Hey, it takes a great idea. Uh, you you need to carry this, 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 and this, or you need to have available for your personnel this, these things. It doesn't work like that. It's really what air packs now. And think about how long that took to get. Everybody. Oh, absolutely. Or their own portable radio that took a lot of time oh, to get. Oh, it, it just point. takes. I know, and that's yeah. The, you know, because someone told me Motorola, like. Like they they have money to just make things better, but they there's not a big enough market to make it just for us, to for it to be cost effective in some of their communication things. Yeah, you know what I mean. If that makes sense. Uh, and I'm with you. Like when I walk th through FDIC and you and uh, like you check oh, out stuff, yeah. like we're probably, and this is just throwing a guess out there, we're probably five years away from like truly like latching on to like battery powered chainsaws and that kind of stuff being regular to us but we're not oh, there I agree. yet yeah i agree because i i hydraulics right you know, all that per, prime example it, 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 it it's happening and the batteries are working i yeah i think and yeah i think that'll be that's Those early that's battery cutters and spreaders were trash and and like now now i would take them over i mean yeah you yeah. have your backup that you could plug in but still like i would take that yeah the lighter weight the portability so I, I think we trialed, uh, still had a, has a battery chainsaw and they, they put the rescue chain on it and okay. I was like, okay, but I don't, yeah. I don't have personally, I don't have a lot, enough truck work experience to be like, this is great. And so until somebody that's huge, like LA or, you know, whatever, FDNY or somebody like that goes, all right, we're going to try it. And then they vet yeah. it. like, it's not really going to catch on in the same way. Agreed. Right? 
I, I agree. And, and um, yeah, it's it's interesting how sometimes you got to let other people just try it before you jump in. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And just see how it works out. Especially people that are, but, quite frankly, going to more of that stuff, right, who are doing Oh, it totally. More, right? Oh, yeah. They're going to be oh, like, yeah. this thing's a pile of garbage when they know, like, because they're using it. But uh, Bloom brought up a, a point here. So he says, uh, Jimmy and Alex – uh, you have to use the tick in conjunction with your knowledge of buildings in your district. So a guy with about five years on uh, has been in enough houses, they should be able to tell you the layout from looking at the front of the building. And he's right. Yeah, we can combat some of the, the, the law, maybe not loss of technology, but not having it with better training in those things. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You're right. Uh, yeah. But there definitely, I think there's a point where like, I, I make this sell because it was my, my thought when we got the smaller ticks for the back step. It's like, Hey, if it was your kids in there, would you want yeah. every cheat code you could possibly have yeah. to go get them? Uh, you know, so like, yeah, agreed. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I yeah, you should be able to read a structure from the front of it to a certain degree and from windows and stuff. You never lose your basics. This is what yes. I'll say. It just being a training guy, if you know your basics, because the real, I, I mean, the, the real, the fire ground's gray to me. Any emergency, it just becomes gray. And if you understand fundamental basics, you can make stuff work with what you have. And if you know your own ability, whatever you do, just have a handle on basics and be confident. Don't, and then just kind of apply those the best way you can to make it work and for success. I, and I can't say that enough. Basics, basics, basics. Yeah. I, and the best part about teaching, I've taught so many different classes over the years, especially technical rescue. And I remember like students would say would that work and i said i don't know let's try it <laughs> and, and i would always say okay every basic concept we're going to use in here should work right yeah then let's see if it works and i, I guarantee that's how things things get invented and started 100 oh, percent. I, yeah, I know uh it's, um, it's just it's so cool especially like in the social media world right now the fire service which which has a lot of positivity to it there's also you know whatever it's social media but yeah. uh you could see a lot of these things that firefighters just make up right so there's like this victim drag strap is coming out now. Oh, yeah. Integrated into your gear. Uh, guys were taking a, um, uh, a mega mover and they were cutting it in half and they were sewing loops on it. You know, there's people that have like the rip cord to, to attach their masks. So, and like all those things are great, but you still got to try them. Not saying you shouldn't try them, but like I did and I found that they didn't work. And that's okay. Yeah. Well, except for the yeah. drag strap. I'm still trying that. And, and I think there's a lot of value in that thing. But, um, I, that maybe that next innovation isn't hasn't quite shown up yet. It will, but people are going to keep trying things, and I think that's what's really cool, right? Is we recognize what our job is, and everyone starts talking now because we're to coin a phrase. And what I know, there's a guy who listens to this who makes fun of me for calling this the Renaissance, but it is in a way. I like we're, it. We're living in that right now, <laughs> yeah. and um, like because we're so connected through through everything right um like people are trying stuff and then people are going hey did you see what this guy over in montana is doing oh yeah that's cool how about this guy over in uh, louisiana yeah let's give that a shot years ago even five years ago that wasn't a thing in the same way that it is now i agree the social platforms this is what i think it's meant for yeah you know especially just sharing ideas and thoughts and it's it's awesome because you can just youtube anything and you can come up with anything. You know what I mean? You yeah. get ideas and opinions. You're like, oh, that works. That makes sense. Yeah, and you can get, you, know? you can get some random little thing from a guy who's been doing it for 30-something years that will, uh, 
either you get it face to face. Like I was talking to a a, a guy who's was like, yeah, uh, somebody mentioned carrying golf balls in their in their in their pocket. Why would you do that? Well, because I can throw it and I can hear if I'm here, right? And like yeah, little I've stuff that. like that, like. Yeah, I heard it face to face, but those kinds of things they exist out in the social media world. So, like a young firefighter can find all that stuff now, where maybe they wouldn't have gotten the same opportunity. No, I agreed, agreed. It's really it's, cool. It's awesome. It, it is. That's the beauty of the fire service. And and Bloom's saying here, the next big innovation should be properly staffed companies. Uh, nothing well, gets done without staffing, it, like you guys said. I, I, You're I just, right. <laughs> it, it, absolutely. If I, we could abolish the jump company, man, that would be. Oh yeah. I know. something but oh oh i know it i know it it would make sense uh, absolutely yeah i don't know who's how we get that crusade completed but <laughs> no no exactly uh so i want to talk about the pyramid and okay for, for those of you that don't know about the pyramid because not everybody here is from our area there's literally well I'm not going to steal this from you. You you talk no, about the pyramid, ahead. but there is a an, an Egyptian yeah. pyramid in the middle of what it's Wadsworth, right? Wadsworth, yeah, it's in our district because it's because we we're the Village of Gurney and the Warren Waukegan Fire Protection District. Yeah, so we're we're a district and a village, but the village owns us, and the district just supports us financially. And they're a third of our district, a third of our income. So it, it's it is kind of cool. They they are champions of us. They've been great, by the way. They, they're one of those, a lot of people don't know they exist, but the Warren Waukegan Fire Protection District, they, they've been awesome to the Gurney That's Fire great. Department. Uh, yeah, I, I did just, not know they, you guys were. I didn't know you yeah, were. Yeah, yeah. So we cover all of Park City yeah. because of that. So, yeah, okay. I, anyway. But yes, right, the pyramid. So, There's a pyramid. Right, see, okay. <laughs> I, I'll never forget it. I was the shift commander that day. And it, July 17th is my oldest boy's birthday. And it was at 1,600 hours. And um, we get a call for the pyramid on fire and an elderly person trapped that's handicapped on the third floor. The pyramid itself uh, was made by Onan Brothers, just so the history on it. This guy was obsessed with pyramids. And he started his own garage and concrete company with a truck. And he built pyramids like in his old house, even in the backyard. And eventually he built this thing and he kind of finagled it so he didn't have to follow any of the uh, permits and codes because he said it was going to be three stories but realistically it was six stories so and at one time the whole thing because I did the history on it was all layered in gold 18 karat gold on the outside but there was such a great glare this is just fun fact information from it because the pyramid sits off the Dillies Road so to the uh, east of it is Route 41 and then to the west of it's I-94, and when the sun would hit it, it would blind drivers driving because of the glare of the gold. Anyway, and he had to put a huge tarp over it and did it out of – so it was interesting. Well, anyway, we get this fire. I report up a structure fire. Uh, this is – yeah, this was a good call. This was a career call for me personally because we had two May Days in it, in the same fire, and I was the commander. And – so so the first thing that happens is is we get the call it's confirmed it's a structure fire and um there's a moat around it just so you know so that's oh, okay all right yeah yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. So hope you do. Yeah. And so that became our water supply, the moat through drafting Newport fire department, chief Kirchhoff, for those of you that know them were phenomenal at getting us set up with that. Cause that's their, that's their thing more than ours. And, and so that was awesome, but we get on location. Um, the deputy chief from Zion called in the fire cause he was going home and he saw it. So he stopped in there and, uh, so confirmed everything. We get on location and they were doing construction on the exterior of it. And the, the so on a pyramid, do you have a roof or do you just have tilted walls? You tell me. All right. So if you can kind of think about that, so you really don't have a roof, but you have these four walls that all come together and point at the top. So, so your, your ladder climbing angle is already established with the wall angle. So how do you, you, you can't, you know what I mean? The ladder is like against it and your knees would have to go out to the side. So it was very interesting. So the fire itself, we get there, the guys make entry of over the first May day. They're making entry to do the rescue. But then we get reports that construction workers rescued the person, but they're doing a secondary search you know, from the person getting out and they're doing recon. Okay. You could tell the smoke's in the structure. It's not just a room and contents, but the smoke's not aggressive. You know, it's just, it's there, right? So the first May day, first company's up there. And this is a learning lesson to everyone. And just being in training all these years, the worst thing a firefighter can do in a big building or any building is rely on line of sight for orientation. Huge mistake. Um, if you read, especially, I, I used to go teach large area search uh, years ago, and then um, I would bring up a lot of NIOSH reports of large fires where people got lost. And what happens is they usually walk in, they can see, and there's some sort of backdraft or ceiling collapse, and all of a sudden they can't see. And then what happens in commercial buildings, especially, this is just a side note, remember, exits are only 300 feet apart, and and you're not going to breach concrete walls to get out when you're in a big building i'm telling you the ceiling height is what will screw you up because you're an eight foot home ceiling you re respect the smoke right away because it's already banking down but you the ceilings could be 20 and they could be already 800 degrees at the ceiling but where you're at you're fine and you can see so especially the that that super sofa store fire down in charleston yeah. where they lost nine just they all walked in and they all could see in the beginning things changed so that's what happened on the first mayday they're up there they're on the third or fourth floor in the pyramid and all of a sudden i get a mayday and this is training they didn't hesitate because i we always say if you think you're lost you're lost if you think you're in trouble you're in trouble just call the mayday they got separated from each other they lost their means of egress and they called the mayday uh, we just did a walkthrough, so another plug for training. Uh, it wasn't even set up yet. Um, a lieutenant from the next company said, you know, Chief, I know where they're at. We're going to go up there and help them find themselves. That mayday gets resolved. They're good. We go back in. Now, okay, just, just some notes on this. All right, so we're fighting this fire. This fire, though, just so you know where it's at, it's between the fourth and fifth floor because they were doing wall work or roof work. And there's a cockloft space, okay, in the pyramid, in the wall. So between the interior wall and the exterior wall, the fire is just running the wall, okay, or or the, the the roof, whatever you want to call it, but the exterior and interior wall. And that's how they have their vent system. So you could tell wood's burning. You can just tell by the smoke. We're not winning, but we're not losing, 
right? It's one of those fires. It's like, you know, after 20 minutes, if you're not winning, you, you know, but nothing's really changing. Now, this was a learning and mistake by me. Um, and, and I call it a mistake unknowingly, but um, a standard protocol is to kill the power, right? So we kill the power. So when we killed the power, ComEd kills the power, there is a ventilation fan at the top of the pyramid that helps get rid of the moisture because they have a moisture problem there and they always have it running. And then everything started to change. Okay. And now, um, now this is a learning curve for me too, where I know my people really well, but I didn't know the deputy chief. I know him. He's not there anymore, but he from Zion and he was, I made him interior. And he had three other crews with him. And in my mind, I thought he was on the fourth floor or the third floor. And the other companies were working the fourth and sixth and they reported to him. But what I learned later, they were all close proximity. Okay, so so I'm calling on the radio and I see the smoke change. And I didn't know until after the critique and we did a post-fire analysis that when we killed the power, that's why it changed, right? So I'm like, Man, I, you know, I, I'm calling, I'm calling the operations chief. I said, look, I don't like it. And I'm talking to him. Like I, I talked to my guys, like a conversation almost like I, I want everyone to come out, you know, and we just really need to rethink what we're doing because something's not working. Right. So, so, and then, um, and then you know, so I think we can do it and so on and so forth. And then one of my lieutenants who I know, and he is phenomenal. Heath Graham's his name and he's retired from us now, but he goes, he what I call balanced aggression. He knows when to be aggressive. He knows when it's wrong. He just he he's just good. He's just been good his whole career. And he goes he cut he cut off the the chief that was talking after he was done. Almost cut him off and said, "We need to get out of here. Something's not right. I I just know it's not right." And then um and then there was some water issue. So I dealt with that and I came back and then it was kind of the same thing repeating. I said, "All right, we'll get with get with the with the operations chief. Get with Eric. Just figure it out." And then come, I want you all out, right? And um, so then, uh, um, then I, I guess, so I give the order and they finally start to come down, right? And then on the, let's see, the A side is the front of the pyramid. And then the B side's the north. And they had a huge tarp uh, covering up some of the construction, Right. And now just so you know, because we couldn't use ladder trucks or ground ladders, they had uh, lift scissor lifts out there doing the work. Yeah. You were using those. So you've probably seen the pictures. So, of it, right? yeah, I've been kind of throwing some pictures up as you've been uh, as you've been oh. talking about it. And oh, OK, scissor, so, scissor so, okay. Up there. so 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 they're up there and and without coordination. And this is my responsibility. The company over there. Okay, at the same time we're giving the evacuation order, they pull the tarp away, and then the backdraft happens. And there's glass is blown out. I'm, I'm across the moat, and I thought guys died. And I remember I knelt down in my command unit. I said, Lord, don't take my men from me. Because I, I just knew it. I hear, mayday, mayday, mayday. They're all blown off their feet. They're all a mess. And, and all this stuff. So, But they all get together. No one's seriously hurt they get out um they're all together now i take my shift now I'm, i'll get back to the fire a little bit but that was quite an experience right and now i take my shift out to dinner the next day i said look we're going to center cut and gray's lake 
guys are all coming. We all went through something that was pretty significant. And then I found out what really happened because we were there all night. Guys were exhausted. And what happened was there was a beach park company, two gurney companies, truck and engine company up there with that chief. And, and my lieutenant was like, we got to get out of here. And, and the chief was saying, no, we can stay. We can stay. He's like, no, we need to get out of here. He said, we're leaving. And then the beach park guys used to work for that guy at their department. They were torn. And then they finally agreed, okay, we're going to get out. And then he wanted to bring the hose line. And there was a big argument. No, we're leaving the hose line. Something bad's about to happen. And you, you can just tell, right? So when they turned that off, so on and so forth, because the conditions just got worse up there. And he goes, something's just not right. We're, we're making no progress. And they're literally screaming at each other. I had no idea. So then they all come filing out, right? And I feel like I was calm. It sounded like on the radio, I had no idea. And then inside, I'm like, dang. I, I just, like, I internalized that. And I said, I didn't know him that well and how he was communicating. I just, I should have been more forceful. I'm looking for, I'm like, I'm trying to steer him in the right direction. I should have just told him this is the direction we're going. Because I, I just got used to just doing this. So it all worked out in the end. And then the next day, okay, um, um, a, the lieutenant from Beach Park comes by. And, and I know him. And he just comes and he just hugs me. And he said, if you didn't tell us to get out, we wouldn't be here today. Because they, they made it down two or three floors, right? And they were still blown off their feet. But if they were on the fire floor itself where they were, it had been bad. And then, okay, then social media was the devil. All right. So I, and I, if there's two things where you just, the worst thing that can happen is... One of a firefighter was recording this um, event by the command unit, and the back and they caught the backdraft like boom. But they heard I heard my radio traffic like like after the backdraft. I said, I want everyone out of there now. And then I thought, my wife. Cause all of a sudden, something changed to me. My wife picked up on it. She said, "What's wrong?" I said, "I think I really messed up." I said, it sounds like I gave the order after the backdraft to get out. And I swear I told him to get out before. And I finally got the fireground tapes, right? And I listened to it. And I was like, I did tell him. And it was just like, and just as a reminder that, and I'll just say this, the weight that you carry if you're responsible, because I, it's like, I, it, it, just, it just, it destroyed me for like three days. I just remember, I feel like, I, what a mess up. I, I failed. And and I did it when I was supposed to do it. It just took longer because of their argument. I felt better after. But I remember this. I, I don't know if any of you guys remember these RICO classes that used to take place here. They were significant, rapid intervention company officer. It, I mean, hundreds of firefighters would show up to these things. It, it was incredible. It was a week long of just kicking your butt, right? In, in all the writ stuff, it was just phenomenal. The best instructors around. It, it was it, forty hours, and it was more like probably sixty hours, but it was awesome. But I, I'm dating myself a little. But do you all remember the Worcester fire where six guys died in the in the cold storage? Two battalion chiefs that were there running that fire came to that class, 
and and I and I say this with a humble heart because I can't put into words, but they gave keynote in the beginning. We're in this big auditorium at the school. But then we would break up. There was like there was like six cl- six companies or battalions, they called them of 30. And you would go to all these different sites as 30 firefighters. But they came to ours one day. And they and this was years. This I think this happened in 96. And this class probably was 2002, 2003. And they're telling us intimate details about how they stood in front of the doors. Everyone knows they said, don't go in. And, and they're crying, telling us the story. He said, these guys wanted to kill us. And we knew if they kept going in, they would just keep dying. And they live with this, this pain and, and they live with this hurt that I'll never forget. It, it just like, it was just like, because it was under their watch. It was under their command, regardless of how responsible directly or irresponsible they were. I don't know. But that will never change. And um, and I, I will say this. Anyone who ever is an officer or wants to be an officer, that's why you love your men. Because <laughs> that's what you're asking them to do. And because you asked me that question. And I remember that hit me in a big way. It was a significant call. And it was huge. But at the end of the day, getting into the, I guess, the sexy part of firefighting is is uh, knowing resources. Chief Kirchhofer got the Bristol ladder truck. He knew it was brand new, single axle, and we could get it back on this access road because the double axle ones would have probably fallen into the moat because they wouldn't have made it. And we were able to get that thing up there and just drill the water in there eventually. So we're using hand lines off those off those lifts. It was, and we, the best part was we had these the the construction guys were up there with them operating the lift. <laughs> it was, it was, that's what I mean. The fire ground becomes gray, and you have yeah. to make decisions. And you have to think about how you're going to do things. But um, I, I, I do mean it. Um, you, you, whatever you do, and, and, I, I, and it's another rabbit hole, but you could use your title to get out of anything as an officer. You can say, I'm not going to train. Whatever they're doing, I do. If we're in a maze that day, I'm in a maze that day. If I'm, you know, I, and I mean it, if, if we're doing air pack training, if we're doing ladders, uh, if we're if we're making hydrants, I'm making hydrants. The best part, I, I will say this, is that you guys grow in your career because you will always remember what you're asking them to do. I know you know because you've done it, but it's good to always be reminded like, yeah, this is a grind. This is hard. This isn't easy. And um, and the other thing I'll say, I, I, I share this just just because this is my thing. But every morning I show up to the firehouse uh, about an hour and a half before shift and I work out and I run and I get my head right and I do some other things. But every morning I, I pray for every firefighter and their wife. Or their husband. Now that we have a female on our shift, we have our first career, and she's about to be married, and their kids by name. And it's because I just, I just, that to me is an intimate thing that I believe in, that I do because I love them and I want them to go home safe, and I want them to have a good shift regardless of what's going on. And I want us to be good to each other. You know, that, that just little stuff like that. Um, and it all goes back to that Bob Zerba story when he got burned knowing who they are, knowing who their family is, knowing their story. Because everyone has a story, 
And um, I bet when you, st- when you know, I, I started this interview or this chat, I should say, with my story, like, I shouldn't be where I'm at because of how I grew up. It makes no sense. And if you knew all the details, but everyone has a story they bring into the firehouse and you just never know. They have all their demons and you all have them yourself. I know. Um, but we all do, but we could help each other get through them if, if there's love in the firehouse. So it does matter. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, are you ready for some of our closing questions? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if if you've caught, I pretty much asked the same ones, although one of them I got rid of because Sammy Vega, I feel like answered it perfectly. So (laughs) I got rid of my triage one. Because uh, if you get a chance, go back to listen to how he it, – it's something else. But um, if anyone's got any questions for Jimmy, while we kind of go through these, throw them in the chat because obviously, like, let's hear him talk. But um, <laughs> uh, so first thing first, uh, what's one mistake that you have made and learned from? Okay. I, I would say I would say the, my biggest mistake – that, you know, first of all, I, I think I kind of touched on it earlier because I, I thought about that question because I make mistakes all the time. You know, I'm dyslexic. I, I I think the hardest, the biggest mistake in life is being uncomfortable with who you really are because you put this pressure on yourself. Like, um, like growing up in a dysfunctional, abusive family and then having a learning disability on top of it. And then you throw that into the fire service. Um, I misspeak all the time. Like I'll reverse things. I'll I'll do stuff. And then you just have to be comfortable with doing that. Um, being comfortable with who you are. The biggest mistake is realizing that your weaknesses can become your strength just by being transparent and helping others overcome theirs. That's a life thing. Now in the fire service, I think the biggest mistake I made. I alluded to it was be or I became self-righteous a couple of years in my fire career and I, I became cold and I don't I have to research why that happened I have ideas but um, if I would have kept going down that road and I stayed that road I would have had a career full of regret and probably unaware justifying um, everything uh, and one and I think another mistake I made when I was younger is um, is just having judging others prematurely. You know, just just have discernment, have compassion. Um, use those as your weapons to lead. You don't, you know, because as much as you find faults in others, they can find just as many faults in you. You know, and when you have privilege of Remember, it's a privilege being an officer. It's not a right. It's a blessing. When you have the privilege of that, you can hide behind that rank. And I've never made that mistake because I grew up. At least I don't think I have. I hope I have. My men will know. But do that. And and I think the other, the other mistake um, that I've made is is um, my family has really has suffered. And they've been great, but the fire service kind of owns you, you know, and, and sometimes the fire service gets more of you than they do. And 
you, you know, it's just the way it is. And I, I think if you have an opportunity and any type of influence wherever you're serving right now to remember that and to remember the sacrifice they make and help firefighters like, hey, take care of your family. This place will still be here. Someone will fill in the gap. You know, there's just always something. Uh, and I, I think that's important. I even struggled like my youngest and I this is a mistake I almost made because of it. I just I, I just have this obligation, you know, this sense of duty, if you will. And it's never left me to, to be there and to do what's right. And my youngest son is going away to college on Saturday and I was able to get the day off. And I'm like, but I could have someone come in for me. We're all age driving to the airport, whatever. And I could just do that. And I just feel like, well, I should be with my family, you know, the fire guys that day. And I have, you know, we had this special thing we wanted to do for a review or whatever. And I'm trying to talk myself into still doing that instead of doing the right thing with my family. And I finally asked my son, I said, you need to be straight with me. I said, okay, I, I had, the day came available. I was able to take it off. Would you like me to be home Saturday? And you can just tell me flat out. Or would you would you care? He goes, I would like you to be home. So I kept the day. And, and so where before, I wouldn't have those conversations. And I think those are some of the biggest mistakes. Um, so w with that being said, I, I think when I when I look at my career, I've never I've had bad days at the firehouse. Right. We all have. But I've never showed up saying this job sucks. And then the other thing I liked it and I shouldn't use that word, but but. I don't even want to call it a job. It's a calling. And we were talking earlier, and I believe this. There's something in us that called us to it, and we answered the call. And then I always, and I was talking to Alex earlier, and I said, I think this was in our green room, I guess we call yeah, it. Yeah, the green room. Yeah, I'm learning the terms. <laughs> so, and I said, there's people that call themselves to it that it was never in their heart. They never last long. They, they, and you probably, everyone probably knows someone. They find a way out of it. They it just wasn't meant for them, you know, and it's not bad that they answered, but they were never it just it's just it's a grind. And you all, whoever's listening, you know, I don't know. You all should feel good about what you've done with your life, honestly. And I think most firefighters and I forgot this until I started studying my firefighters more. Most people can't do what you all do. You you forget. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, in society's eyes, and we never see ourselves as this, but you're heroes. You know, this is my my joke, my brother, my brother, because he's a firefighter in Florida, and we just we just have so much fun. And he'll say, I say, hey, wh hey, what are you on duty? I go on duty tomorrow, and he calls it. Oh, that's my hero day. You know, it's my hero day. Like when I go to ship, it's our inside joke. You you know, it, it's funny, but you really are. I, I mean, I want to inspire as many people as I can. Even after you've been doing it for 25, 30 years, whatever it is, you still matter at what you do. And and and, and I, I guess the biggest mistake, too, that I, I, I don't know if I've made, but I've seen people made. And if I could help people prevent it, don't become bitter. Uh, and and if you and because the fire and a lot of it has to do with the culture of your firehouse or your fire department too. some of it. But just value everyone no matter what level you're at so that's what i'll kind of answer that with yeah it's awesome uh have you ever lost your passion for the fire service and if you did uh how'd you get it back and what keeps you passionate um i i want to say um 
well, I, I alluded to it earlier mm-hmm. um, when I had that shoulder surgery and I was off and I, I was fight. It was hard to go back because I real I didn't. And, and I'm telling you, and this was 25 years into it. Just something happened where I was like, I was like, I was, I was, I almost retired. I just was like, yeah, I don't, because I, I have given so much to it and I was forced not to be there. I, you know, I, I've missed a day for being sick or whatever, but never that long. And that was, it was three months, right? But it just, and I remember, and, and I'll never forget it. I, I remember, and I, I'm, I'm being very transparent and I seen some stuff and I've, I was driving somewhere. It was winter time and, and it was snowing. And a car was in a ditch on Route 45. A sheriff was there. And I just remember seeing this car in the ditch pulled over to the side. And it was just one of those things you knew no one was hurt. They just probably, it was just icy and they, off they went. And it just, I got this pit in my stomach and I felt sick to my stomach. Like, why can't, why does someone always have, why, why can't someone just have a day where they don't have to call us? I just, it just hit me. And if I was not off work that long and struggling with it, and it was just the fatigue of it all and, and the stuff you see. And and I think the neatest thing I learned from that and helped me appreciate my guys more and the firefighters in general, what they do, because you see all the hopelessness in life and you bring hope and sometimes it doesn't work. And I just, and I, and I thought in a million years, I would never feel that way. And, and it, it took me just a, you know, a couple shifts when after I got back, I was fine. But I just think, I just think believing in why I was there helped me get through it. But it, it was, it was a wake up call. I never thought that would happen. And it, that's the first time I've ever shared that publicly, to be honest. But yeah. it was because it was, it really set me back. I was shocked, like how I responded. Like it made me sick to my stomach that, I mean, they're just trying to get home. And, I, and then you have these flashbacks of everything else you've seen or whatever. But it was interesting. It was an interesting time. And I, I'll say this. Every guy I've seen retire, you know, and they're finally out of it, they kind of look a little younger because they sleep normal. They, yeah. yeah, yeah I, and I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, you just, they, you're just, yeah. Our last yeah. three retirements, because uh, we're going through yeah. a lot of retirements right now. Yeah. Uh, um, well, maybe not last three, but three of our last couple big, you know, guys that have retired uh, who were, were, were great they were into the job they were doing all the right things and um they've come back for other retirements they've all lost weight they yeah. all look like i know full of life it, like it and you saying that it, it no makes, i'm it telling you and and i think i got a little taste of being out of it for a while and i didn't realize what i was in because yeah. it was normal and i realized what we do is normally abnormal almost because it's normal for what we do, but you don't realize it until you step away from it. And I was forced to step away from it. Yeah. It wasn't like when I, you know what I mean? It was like, like I think the longest I've been off is like two weeks, you yeah. know, for a vacation. And, um, so it's, it's interesting. It was, it was a wake up call. And I learned like, like being aware of that it, it was different. It, the long term injury crushes people. It, it, yeah. And, and I, and, you know, the and, other part yeah. of that that's hard is like, uh, we've had our share of those recently, and mm-hmm. you know we had a guy almost out for two years, 
and and this sounds horrible and I've tried to make a point to to remember to do it but it's it's sometimes it's difficult to be when they're not there you almost kind of feel like they retired and no. people don't even check up on them sometimes and I'm not going to sit here and like you know no. try to be self-righteous cuz I'm just as guilty but when they're not around like you almost forget that they're there and that's horrible on their end right because like you no, were saying before it, you're going to miss grind, the guys though. right like you know and, and then it's funny. I it's like we're good caregivers to everyone else, but not so much to each other. And I think sometimes it's just because you're you just because you're in it and you're yep. still moving. You're still you're still playing the game, and and you're just pacing different. Yep. It, it's it's not it's not intentional. It's just the nature of it. I I because I, I agree I, with what you yeah. just said. I've seen it. I've been part of that, and you just keep moving and. Yeah, and I've heard perspective from the guy on the outside who's you, there. There's two ends. One guy's kind of like, "Hey, I get it," and then there's others. Other guys that really, really get dark and are like, no, "Nobody cares about me. Nobody's around to talk to me. Like, what happened to everyone?" And like, really, that that's our fault, right? Like, yeah, you know that, that we should be checking in on our on our, our our brother that you know they're still with us. They're just injured or something and yeah, recovering. And exactly. yeah, they can come and do light duty or whatever, whatever your department does, but still like they're, they're often, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. I, I've never seen it from that perspective. And I, I don't remember if my growing up, I don't remember if my dad ever was on a long-term injury. I don't think he was from what I remember. Yeah. So it's not like I have any experience in that either. So it's, it's a weird thing. Yeah. I agree. Uh, that, Brian Rao yeah. is in here. He said, you know, when the injury happens, the train keeps moving, like you're saying, right? You're still in the yeah. game. And and, and, it, and the guys, it, it's not intentional. It's just that you're just pacing with your team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because you're just doing it. And it's just like, you know, it. it and, and you're missed, but, but it's different. You're just, because it's just, because at the end of the day, the tones are always going to drop, calls are going to happen, and someone's going to fill in, and it's all good. Everyone's replaceable. I do know that. Yeah. And um, but it was a wake up call for me. I didn't. I did not expect that. I. I was like. I was weird. It was mentally. It. It did something to me. I was like, huh. And then I. I started looking. The neat thing is that because I always look at things that happen to you. Like I started paying attention to my guys, like their mental health, and I. I was always in tune, but I became a little sharper because what I thought. And that process hit me, you know, because it really, it, it was, it set me back. I was like, man, I was telling my wife, I don't know if I want it. And she just looking at me. I said, I know I can't explain it, but I was open with her about yeah. it. And usually I keep that stuff in, but I had to tell someone. And then, yeah. And then I, I mean, going back was like, like, I felt like I was going back to jail and yeah. it wasn't, but just mentally. Well, you, sometimes, you know, and like just you're saying, because, because, because you're, you're, you're paid, you're, because you're, I realized that like, like I work tomorrow and I, I'm already on shift probably eight o'clock tonight because yeah. I'm thinking of everything that we have to do tomorrow. Uh, you know, you think of the what ifs, you're, you, you know, just getting your food ready. It's just, and you want to make sure you get a decent night's sleep, right? You, yeah. you know, it's just crazy. It's, it's funny. It's just different. You That's, know, yeah. I always feel like my 24 is a 36. Because sure. I change, I can tell when I'm like if I, I have a Kelly day coming up, I don't, you know, I have because it's just I can tell like all right, I got to do the grind tomorrow and yeah. I got to be on the game. Yeah, so. not not that I'm advocating necessarily for, it, but like that's one of the big pushes that they make for forty eight ninety six and that whole schedule, oh, yeah. right? Is like 
Now I, you get of your four days, you're really spending half of this one and half of this one. Yes, so really I know. You get your two full days. Yeah. Oh, I it's agree. It's interesting to see a lot of the stuff that comes from that because, yeah, it's you're, not like, a bad I just thing. Worked four or what did I work? I worked three out of the last five days because I, I had a forty-eight, yeah. and like I had the first day, I slept for four hours. I rolled right into the next day, had no time to sleep, recover, was up late, came home, no time to recover, right back to work again. Like that's our life. And it's, um, you, you don't, you just get whacked over the head with that and you can't recover yeah. until you really try to make a focus of it. Uh, it, but yeah, here I am not whining, but you know, what I mean? no, I'm, <laughs> we it, all go through the I'm, same no, thing. But I'm, it's just the way it, it, it does. You'll yeah. see. Yeah. It just, yeah, it it has its, yeah, it takes its toll, you yeah. know? Deb's saying it's huge in the south, the 4896. It seems like that's almost the standard yeah. I, in Texas. I, I have a, a couple of people. I, I feel like it's happening. Yeah. And then there's a department, which is kind of cool, by my brother called Boca Raton. Uh-huh. And it's the, it's right next to Broward County there and next to Deerfield. And and for forever, they have four shifts. They do 72 24 they have no kelly days yeah but they get three days in a row off and that actually makes sense to me yeah. you, you know you know you know i was like man because because i feel like like we we get rocked for us right and everyone has their own thing and and i feel like when you get off you're hungover from because you're up all night yeah and then and then and i see this in my guys and and then you really that next day is like your recovery day yeah, you're... and then you go home and then you finally maybe sleep that night and then, and then you're like, you get 12 hours and you already start thinking about the shift. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's one of the guys said something. I was working a, a 48 and, uh, another guy was working a 48. I go, I said something to him like, oh yeah. Are you tired? He goes, I'm always tired. I'm a fireman. And that is a true statement. Cause I, cause I always make sure if guys are working for you, I want to make sure you got rest. I said, Hey, just get our stuff done during the day. You know, as soon as it's done by just go because I have them go to the racks, you know, just yeah. go to your and sleep if you need to because it's it's brutal. But anyway, yeah, it's all it's important. It really is. They're finding that that like you're you're talking about mental health. You're talking about all this, like physical health, all those things were really that all tied together. I'm yeah. telling you a lot's driven by sleep for sure. Oh, yeah. Um. If you wanted to give someone a sense of how fire service culture should work by meeting one person with us or gone, uh, who would it be? So, so a stranger, uh, uh, oh, a new firefighter, well, whatever. You know, I, I have to, you know, you know what? I have to admit, um, one of the best guys, there's two, and they're, they're both of past, is Chief Halton. Um, I could listen to that guy. I would just go to FDIC, and if I went home after his keynote and opening remarks in the beginning, I was pumped up enough because he 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 just spoke leadership. He spoke heart, and he had me do. I remember we had this huge trench rescue, or um, up in Summers, Wisconsin, our team, and I did a podcast with him. You know, and he's so down to earth. And I read your post about. Yeah, you were late, right? Yeah. So, where do you need to go? You know, that's who he was. And then, and then he, and then Tim Oak, because Tim Oak, bless Tim Oak for all, but his pictures, his love for the fire service, 
his love for us. He he knows everyone. I swear. He he calls Bobby Halton because we have the pyramid fire, right? And this is a joke, not a joke, but it it's funny, right? So he calls him. He calls me all about it. He goes, "All right, I want you to write an article." So I wrote an article for fire engineering, and then he had me. He, I didn't put, you know, I had to put an application to teach. So he had me teach this class and I, it was a Friday morning, right? Who goes to class on a Friday morning? And I'm like, that's fine. So I go scout the classroom. It's one of the biggest classrooms, like where the Seattle guys have taught, right? I'm like, what are they expecting? There was literally six people there. It, it, was, it was the first class in the morning, but, but, but that's, but he would call and then, and then I and, and I remember he would just talk to me on the phone and I would ask him like he because I I because I, I, I wanted to do more writing. And then he passed. And uh, I remember I, I got sidetracked because my wife got cancer and she's fine now. But it just kind of and then he unexpectedly passed. But he would take the time to motivate anyone. That guy was phenomenal. And then a guy I knew from afar and I was actually got to shake his hand and talk to him a little was Brunacini. The, the, and I know a lot of guys, but he just, he was, what he did to influence Phoenix, and Phoenix is not the outward, just they would share all their mistakes. They would share everything they learned, everything they tried that didn't work. What, he did something there special, and he influenced to me the fire service as a whole forever. And just, he was just so down to earth. And, um, it, it, those two were probably some of the neatest guys. They were in it for the right reasons. And at the end of the day, and I, and I never realized this, so I'm saying this right now. I mean, I realized it, but perhaps they just loved firefighters. They loved, they, they loved what they did and they loved just, they realized training and learning and getting better to the very end was where it was at. Like you could never stop learning. They, that's who they were. Like you could only become better, and and they they did what they loved, right? And their passion and their life. It's just it was so inspiring because, man, if I could hear another Bobby Halton speech, I would I, I would I would love it. Because that guy, yeah. he just spoke truth, and he he just you know I don't know the guy was legit and just appreciated and and he he was sh strong but yet humble he he just had a neat way about him and a, a vibe that yeah he was legit he will be a he will always be a continuing inspiration for me yeah I, I, yeah his the the last in life if you will i guess time he inspired me was he made me realize that that fdic when i did get to kind of meet him in a moment that no matter what I should make sure that I meet my fire yeah. service heroes face yeah. to face, especially at that at there, because like, I, I, had I known that that was the last time that I no. was now, I, I think I wrote in that story and I've told it on here a couple times, but uh, I did see him later and I went up and I shook his hand and I said, Hey, I don't yeah. know if you remember me. And he was like, I do. Yeah. you make your class like, yeah, yeah that's, that's how he, that's how he was. I wish yeah. that I would have gotten 10 more minutes with him. 20 more yeah. minutes with him just to just to talk to him for oh and he would have and he, he, he would have he would have yeah there, there, he he never put himself above anyone no. or he was he was phenomenal yeah. he i remember he spent an hour with me on the phone and he probably had a million other things to do 
And so just to, that yeah. inspired me. Like I'm gonna, I'm taking nozzle forward again. And there was some yeah. discrepancy on how to do that. Well, I was like, well, it's free, and if you, you could do an audit and like trying to tell my training officer, no, this is normal. You don't have to ask Bartlett. Like, this is part of nozzle forward. Aaron Field says this is what you do, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm gonna do this and like convince him and all that stuff. And thinking about some of the like you know that experience with Bobby and thinking about other things, mm. I'm like, well, I'll just email him. And then I emailed yeah. him for a little bit. And then I'm like, can I just talk to you on the phone? Like, I know you're West Coast. He's like, yeah, yeah. call me at this time. Talking to yeah. him on the phone. Like, yeah, that's who he was, right? I know. I, you got so me pumped up. People yeah. Like, yeah. are like that in the fire service. And and yeah. Bobby, Bobby taught me that. That was the last, again, in yeah. life, that's the last thing. And I bought I bought his editor's guide, or sorry, uh, his editor's book that FDIC Letter to nice. the Editor book, whatever oh, yeah, they call it, right? Yeah. Uh, that uh, that uh, Fire Engineering put out, and I've, I've been trying to kind of get through some of the articles that I haven't read before, but like like you said, yeah. as, as an ambassador to a new person, like I'd love oh, to yeah. just throw that on a desk and go, hey, kid, read this yeah. thing. You'll, yeah. you'll get it. You know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. But Amen. yeah. Yeah, yeah it's you, good. Yeah, you're, you're, pulling, you're pulling at the right guy. Bobby was... So yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, he was phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, it was just good, good stuff. Uh oh, wait, maybe I, I maybe I didn't pull the. Mm -hmm. No, the, sorry, I I thought I edited my questions to you, and I actually left the I did leave the triage one in there. Yeah, you did. I saw that. You know, I I want that question. So let's do that question then. I, yeah, this this is what I. You know what? I, I thought about that because. I've used I've used that in my leadership class a triage yeah. thing, and at the end of the day, because we triage everything, but this is what I think, because because you could you could because I think everyone depending upon where they're at, it depends where you're at in your career and how you see it. You know, right now if I were to ask one of my newest guys, he'd probably say it's green, because he's excited. Yeah, you know. Uh, the story is this, okay. It was you guys heard my story in the beginning. It's a miracle to become a firefighter. I walk into the Gurney Fire Department, right? And I remember I was allowed to go in there as an official member of the department. Go in there. Rigs are rusty. Everything, every rig, every fire engine, it, except um, our frontline engine, everything else was older than me. It was, it was like older. It was just... It, it was just old stuff, right? Our apparatus, the nicest thing that went on a structure fire was our ambulance, right? Because it was the newest thing. Oh, yeah. But when you're new, I didn't notice any of that. Yeah. I didn't didn't care. I didn't care that we had um, three-quarter boots and a turnout coat. I didn't care that we had three different types of self-contained breathing apparatus. None, I didn't notice any of it because I was just excited to be there. So the fire service in the beginning is a green, you know. The secret is keeping it a green because there's so many things because the fire service is not going away. It's not like we're going to go out of business. You know, there's always speeches about, you know, we could go out of business because the ambulances and all that. And, it, and it's all real stuff. But at the end of the day, I think you have to triage yourself. Are you a green? Are you yellow? Are you red? Are you dead? And if you're green, then the fire service is green because your circle of influence is green. Then, you you 
because at the end of the day, there's always there's always a t-shirt issue. There's always, you know, our work days too long. We don't get to work out when we can. None of that stuff mattered when I first started. I didn't care about if we were union, if we weren't. I didn't care that we had contract people if we didn't. I didn't care if we had paid on call. I, I didn't care if we didn't have enough fire trucks or not enough hose. I just wanted to meet the challenge to see if I was trustworthy and noble and worthy of the calling of a firefighter. And everyone else would decide if that's true based on how I conducted myself. So I think if you want the fire service to be a green, be the best version of you. And if every firefighter did that, it'd be pretty green, regardless of what we don't have, because firefighters are special. They fill in the gaps. They make it work. When everyone else is running away from it, we figure out how to make it right. And we bring peace to a broken world. We can burn a house to the ground and people will shake our hands. Thank you so much for trying. And they'll even bring us cookies. We don't even have a, a stove to cook it in because it's burnt to ash or whatever. It's gone. The fire service is beautiful and firefighters make it beautiful. That's the thing. Because if you look around every other agency that's here, we're the only one that really just shows up no matter what. We're instantly welcomed into their home as trusty servant, trustworthy servants to help them through whatever they need. And that's pretty noble in a world that everyone's skeptical and afraid to do anything. And, you know, you're part of something special, so be special. And the more of us that do that, better off we'll all be. And we'll make it something good. So in general, if you were to look at it from afar without the passion and love, it would be easy to label it a yellow recruitment, all this stuff, you know, trying to get people through the door, and, you know, the way society is and all this stuff. But as long as there's good people doing the right thing, it's a green, you know, and there's only a handful of us that do it. You remember that, you know. You know, there's 300 million people in this country, and there's probably about a little bit over 1.5 million that are firefighters. We're the few that do this. And and you think about that, and I want to say, if I'm, I'm, I mean, I used to have these numbers better, but most of them are volunteers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we, we all know that, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and, you, and you think about that, because there's not many volunteer cops at all. <laughs> yeah. you, you know, and, and you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's just the way it is. It's 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 funny. It's it's just interesting when you really think about it. Um, it's good people wanting to do the right thing for the right reason. Oh. So, yeah, sorry. I just got I got to plug in my thing here. No worries. Yeah, it just gave me a low battery. Ooh. Oh, yeah, it's good because we got we got one more. We got okay. to finish it off with one more right, question. We're, we're good. We're plugged in. All right. <laughs> and it's honestly, it's probably my favorite question. Uh, but what's the best part about the job? Firefighters. They're honestly, without hesitation, firefighters. They're. I, I get to work with people who do amazing things, and and they sacrifice, and they're willing to figure anything out. And this is a small example. Okay, this is my thing. All right. I have glasses I have to wear, right? And I remember I left them in my pocket. They go through the washing machine and the dryer, and the temple part falls apart. And then we have this uh, this drain, like strainer, before it goes into the drain. And I 
I'm in there trying to, and I can't see close without my glasses very well. I can't tell. And the guys see me, right? Because I would never ask them to do anything for me, right? And and they they're like, "What are you doing?" I said, "My glass, I can't see." You know, and, and they're like, and they're like, "All right." And I said, "I think," and I could see the things in there, and I'm trying to put it back together. And my and they were torn apart, and they Jimmy rigged it, took it apart, put my glasses together, just like if I was Mrs. Smith in the middle of the night. They don't think nothing of it. And I'm not talking about the heroic stuff they do at fires and everything, but that's the type of people they are. And I remember I was at a conference um, and James Joyce was the fire commissioner of Chicago at the time. And he was the one that, and and, and this is a shout out to him because I thought Chicago was an island from all of us until he became commissioner. I just noticed that, right? But he was he was a keynote, obviously, at this at this place. We we're at Navy Pier and all these firefighters are in there. And he talked about his side job that he used to work. And he said, and it was a group of firefighters that worked for a local moving company in Chicago where they would just move really businesses and people within the city. And they were part-time movers, full and they had full-time movers too. But when people would call, they would request the part-time firefighters that work for them part-time because of the quality of work they would do. They would do something like that. If my glasses fell apart, they would fix it. That's what a firefighter does. They just make things right, um, no matter what. And it, and we forget that because we, we've just become so normal. And that's what makes up what we're part of something special. And that's what I love about the fire service. And my personal great thing that i love it has given me a life it has it has given me a purpose beyond and it helped me become a man i was raised in the fire department and i would pick and choose from all these different firefighters on how to be and how not to be because i saw how they lived and they didn't even know it i would just because i needed role models and i was i was a boy trying to become a man and they all helped me do it and it was beautiful. So it all comes down to firefighters are incredible people. And yeah, so. Yeah, I love what you said. Firefighters just make things right. I mean. They do. They what a great no way how to explain small. what a firefighter is. Yeah, uh, it's just, yeah. Like you said, no matter how small. Yeah, it's just, it's just kind of neat. Yeah. Well, that's it, everyone. Uh, Jim, thank thank you for coming on and, and sharing all of this. I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm sure all of you appreciate it, and uh, I definitely appreciate you coming on. So, uh, if anybody wanted to get a hold of you for any reason, I always forget to do this. So, I'm gonna try oh, yeah. to get better at it. If anyone needed to get a hold of you, if they wanted to, you know, uh, oh, more information my, or anything. Yeah, my cell is eight four seven five two one eight eight two five. There you go. Eight four seven five two one eight eight two five. So, call, text, whatever. I know it's a texting world these days, but it, it's it fine. becomes that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> every so often, the phone yeah. call saves the day, right? That's right. Uh, that's it. So, uh, all right. Thank you, everyone. Have a good evening, and uh, uh, we'll we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for listening. Check us out on OutlierFirefighters.com, Facebook, Instagram, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Remember, 
Excellence may be a rarity, but you are not alone. <laughs>